Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and I love the look. Listen, when I gaveled in, I hit the little votive thing rather than the mallet. So I can now see, I can see, I can see the preacher touch my eyes and I can see. All right. So I want to call the meeting of Monday, January 8th, 2024 to order at 3.01 p.m. And ladies and gentlemen, we will go right into our work session discussing a discussion regarding the uh, January 8th, 2024 consent agenda items. We will do that at this time. Council members, if you have a particular item that uh, you would like to pull at this time, I'm going to ask uh, Ms. Seeger to pull those up for us, and we will. I will read them, and then we will move ahead. All right, are there any on the consent agenda, ladies and gentlemen, that you would like to have pulled at this time? <laughs> All right. And I'll give you a minute or two. I think I heard Miss Julie say, give me a minute. I, you got it. You, give, you got a minute. You're good. Three or four, Julie. You're good. All right. I'm looking on my left. Everybody's good. Mayor. Yes, sir. I don't need to pull these two, but um, they're, they're posted and they're noteworthy projects that are happening. I wouldn't want anybody to think that things are taking place secretively or anything like that, but sure. we, we've been discussing these for a long time. If you'll give me permission to just speak to them. Yeah, go ahead. So C the, Call them out for me, buddy. <clears throat> uh, first one is... Um, where did it go? Relocation of the fire station. Uh-huh. I know the one you're talking about. I'm missing that number. 5802. Yes, um, sir. And so that is uh, authorizing the use of construction manager at risk delivery method for the construction of fire station one. Okay. So we've, we've been discussing for a long time. It's been in long-term plans long before this council was in place that the fire station needed to come off of uh, Main Street in downtown so that we can actually have used that land for development that revitalizes our downtown and also to be able to get the fire truck off of sirens blaring through a walkable urban environment. Nice. Um, so that project is is on the consent to start moving forward and then the other one um, is 5813 uh, okay. for the Mansfield River Walk located in the reserve yes. um, as part of the overall Stillwater project and in the reserve where we've uh, already approved moving forward with City Hall and all of the other pieces that are there. Um, just an exciting project that uh, has been, you know, incrementally taken years to get to as we've known that we need to do and we'll need a, a future new location for City Hall future gathering space for public amenities and all of those things. So um, an exciting project. This is uh, the starting phases to figure out the drainage and how how all the water is going to flow and all of those pieces within the project. So uh, just wanted to draw those out so that it wasn't just passed on consent and good. not not <clears throat> mentioned to. So thanks. All right. You are welcome. Sounds good. Looks good. All right. Is there another? Ma'am, sirs. 
All right, seeing none, hearing none, we're going to then recess into executive session. Pursuant to section 551.071, the Texas government code, the council reserves the right <clears throat> to convene in executive sessions from time to time as deemed necessary during this meeting for any posted agenda item to receive advice from its attorney as permitted, <clears throat> excuse me, by law to discuss the following. A, consultation with city attorney to seek advice about pending or contemplated litigation, a settlement offer or on a matter in which the duty of the city attorney to the city's governmental body under the Texas disciplinary rules of professional conduct of the State Bar of Texas clearly conflicts with Chapter 551 of the Texas Government Code pursuant to 551.071. Seek advice of the city attorney regarding pending litigation calls number 348-270155-14. Seek advice of the city attorney regarding pending litigation calls number 4 about 23-0. CV-00131-0. Uh, seek advice of the city attorney regarding downtown activation grant funding. Seek advice of the city attorney regarding imminent domain action for the acquisition of real property for the maintenance of the city's park and trail system and for other public purposes permitted by law. Seek advice of city attorney regarding legal issues pertaining to economic development projects listed in section 3D of the agenda discussion regarding possible purchase, exchange, lease of value of real property pursuant to section 551.072, land acquisition for future development, land acquisition for maintenance of the city's parks and trail system and other public purposes permitted by law, personnel matters pursuant to section 551.074, the deliberation regarding commercial or financial information received from or the offer of a financial or other incentive made to a business prospect seeking to locate stay or expand in or near the territory of the city and with which the city is conducting economic development negotiations pursuant to section 551.087. Economic development projects numbers 21-26, 22-12, 22-23. And the council will now recess into executive session at 3.07 p.m. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen.
Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to reconvene into our regular business session at 6.10 p.m. We will have our invocation by Mr. Steve Pixler, Pastor Steve Pixler of the Freedom Life Church. Then we will have our Pledge of Allegiance by Councilman Casey Lewis and our Texas Pledge by Councilman Larry Brosh, after which citizen comments at that time. All right, thank you very much. We're going to all stand at this time, and we will ask just out of uh, respect if those who are covered, if you would remove your hats for the prayer and the pledges, please. Let us pray. Holy Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we come before you with deep gratitude and humility. Thank you for a new year, for your kindness that kept us and your grace that saves us. Father, we begin our prayer tonight by lifting up those affected this evening by the explosion in downtown Fort Worth. Bring healing to the injured and the hurting, we pray in Jesus' name. And Father, we lift up before you our beautiful city of Mansfield. We pray for our mayor, for our city council. We boldly ask you to grant us love, wisdom, and power to govern our great city. We ask you for a divine spirit of unity and alignment with your purpose for Mansfield. We pray that every human agenda would be submitted to your eternal will. We know that human authority to govern comes only from you and that all power flows from your throne. Let us serve you faithfully, we pray. Father, we pray for our city officials and employees for our city manager, administration, and all who work so tirelessly to serve the citizens of Mansfield. Bless our families, our schools, our churches, and our businesses. Protect our first responders in the line of duty and keep them safe day and night. Father, Mansfield is a chosen city, a fruitful field. As our fathers before us prayed so long ago, pour out your spirit on our city. Let the love of God flow through our streets like a river, let the wind of God blow through every house, every church, and every neighborhood in this city. Mighty God, creator of heaven and earth, shine your light in the darkness and recreate us once again. Drive out every evil spirit of injustice, oppression, and unrighteousness, and let your glory and your shalom fill this city. Come, Holy Spirit. And now bless these proceedings, and may your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Honor the Texas flag. I pledge allegiance to thee, Texas, one state under God, one and indivisible. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. You may be seated. Pastor Pixler, you mind sharing with us what great things God is doing at the Freedom Life Church? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. What an honor to be before all of you again here at the City Council and City Administration. It is a blessing to serve in the city of Mansfield and an honor to be here just to say hello to all of you. A lot of churches in Mansfield are spending the first few weeks of the year in prayer and fasting. And I just came to tell all of you that we're covering you by name, your families, your children, and everything you love. 
that God would bless you, that the peace of God would be on you and your family, and that 2024, um, election years or whatever notwithstanding, may be a year of great blessing upon you and your family and the greatest peace you've ever known would come this year. Thank you very much for all you do for Mansfield. God bless you. Thank you very much. All right, we're at item eight, which is our citizens' comments. Citizens wishing to address the council on non-public hearing agenda items and items not on the agenda, you may do so at this time. Due to the regulations of the Texas Open Meetings Act, please do not expect a response from the council as we're not able to do so. This will be your only opportunity to speak unless you're speaking on a scheduled public hearing item. Uh, after the close of the citizen comments portion of the meeting, only comments related to public hearings will be heard. All comments are limited to five minutes. In order to be recognized during citizen comments or a public hearing uh, item, uh, applicants included, please complete a blue or yellow card located at the entrance of the chambers and present it to the assistant city secretary that is seated to my right and to your left. As a reminder, this will be your only opportunity to speak unless you're speaking on a scheduled public hearing item. Council may not respond due to the regulations of the Texas Open Meetings Act. All right, Ms. Marine, do we have any comments? Thank you. All right. All right. Mr. Greg Duffer, will you please come at this time and just again for the record state your name and your address and sir you have five minutes. Thank you for coming. Thank you Mayor Evans. My name is Greg Duffer. I live at 5 Fort Worth Court. The reason why I'm speaking to you today is because the past two months we've had to put up with an illegal car show in our neighborhood. Saturday night, my house shook for two hours. We called the police about the noise. They said they would go and have um, words, but it didn't end until about uh, 9.15. I had previously asked them to leave. They said they would, they didn't. You can go to Lit Mansfield Meets and see evidence of this car show. It was considerably good size. I've been to a number of car shows, some very nice ones. It's about community, friendship, being respectable, not shaking somebody's house for two hours. My chest hurt here. My wife did as well. We had pain in our temples. I have tinnitus. Having low frequencies come into my home for two hours, I was afraid to walk around and I was afraid to lose my balance. The first time we called in December, the police told us that it was on private property, they couldn't do anything, and they had a permit. I called CBRE. They hadn't authorized an event there. They were trespassing. They were cooking food. I have no idea if they were obeying the food regulations or the, the person was uh, serve safe, certified for food handling. There's no restroom facilities nearby. You can't serve food and not have uh, facilities near. So that's what I would like to say. Um, I wish Mansfield would have a nuisance event ordinance or greater enforcement of what's 
on the books, but as the city grows, you're going to have problems like this. You're going to have to face it either now or later. I mean, we've had people, because this event, speed through our neighborhood. If you're familiar with the area, it's not far from Fort Worth Street, right off Walnut Creek. We have had people doing burnouts at this, this location in the middle of the night. Now this, I can't sit in my backyard and enjoy my, my yard without hearing loud vibrations. I couldn't go into my garage, I could, which was the worst place to feel the vibrations and to find that they were criminally trespassing. About a hundred people. We complained nothing was done. Thank you for your time and consideration. I've made my, my peace. Hopefully, um, I know the, the zoning and permit department is looking into it because they had no record of a permit on hand for this event. What made me realize that they didn't have permission there was seeing somebody hauling off a bag of garbage on the back of their car. So thank you so much for allowing me to speak. And hopefully you all will look into this so we don't have to put up with this in the future as residents of Mansfield. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Duff. All right, ma'am, do we have any more? All right, thank you very much. We'll move to item nine, which is our council announcements. Mr. Brosh? No, yes, sir. Mr. Tenor? Yes, sir. Ms. Short? Yes, ma'am. Mr. Newsom? None, sir. Yes, sir. Ms. Bounds? None for me, Mayor. Yes, ma'am. Mr. Lewis? None for me, sir. All right. Thank you very much. Council, I have uh, an announcement to make regarding someone who is near and dear to all of us. I learned today that Officer Roman Jones is going to be retiring and will begin to serve as SSO in Cleburne ISD. Now, you all know how that pains us because we just found out. So I'm going to turn it over to the hands of our chief, and maybe he can help clear this up a little bit. If not, we do have a presentation that we'd like to make to Mr. Roman Jones at this time. Well, sir, chief. I hope that what you can see from my face is I'm not pleased by this either. All right. And, uh, and I, uh, unfortunately, you didn't get a copy of the email that I just sent out to our troops that said, I'm pleased to announce, scratch through pleased, and said hate to announce that uh, Roman Jones is retiring. Roman retires after over 20 years of dedicated service to the city of Mansfield. And Roman served in our SWAT unit. He was one of our original snipers. I got to serve alongside of uh, Roman on SWAT. Incredible, incredible human being to begin with. Just absolutely great at everything that he does. And, uh, you know, whenever we had the parks position come available and we moved him out on a bike in the parks, you know, I, 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 would, I would want you to guess how many miles that he rides a day, but I'll just tell you, it's over 20 miles a day. You would think, how in the world does he do that just in our park system? But I assure you, he goes from one end to the other. And, and I witnessed that firsthand by coming out and riding the parks with him one day. And he just about killed me taking me up and down those hills. So he's, he's, he's incredible at what he does. He never meets a stranger. 
and he resolves so many issues in our parks before they're even known to anybody else because he just takes care of them. And he's that kind of person. He's taking care of personal problems. He's the counselor out there. He's the law enforcement. And, and he is the helper to everyone out there that he meets. And so he will be truly missed and it'll be very difficult to replace him. But I have to say that it's a very noble cause where he's going and he'll, and he'll, he'll, he'll be serving very nobly. So I'm, uh, I'm going to be praying for him to be successful in that position and, and continue. And I would ask you guys to do the same thing, for, you know, pray for him and his family for a safe transition and, and many more years of service over there. So, Roman, if you would like to come up, I, I think that, did you say that you wanted to give him a coin or something? Council, will you all join me, please? We have a presentation that we'd like to make to Officer Jones. While the mayor and council are going down there, I want you to take a look at Roman's face. It's that smile. He has resting smile face. He is smiling all the time. That is what you get day in and day out with Roman. All right. Officer Jones, uh, you know, it, it is with, a, and really, this is with a heavy heart. Uh, you are, I think, the epitome, epitome of who our law enforcement personnel are. Uh, when, it, when we talk about protecting and serving, you do that. You do that with compassion. You have done that with compassion. That's why we're going to hate to lose you. Uh, we appreciate the fact that you're not over not, not only watch over us, but you do it as well with our, our children, our families, out in the parks and otherwise. Cleburne is definitely going to be the more blessed to have you in service. So I believe for me and my colleagues that I can speak on their behalf and just say we appreciate you. We have a challenge coin here that I want to present to you. Of course, it says True North. It's a person who, who has that kind of a heart pointing in the right direction, and that is one of leadership. And when we talk about being an example, this says lead by example. Ladies and gentlemen, here you have that man who leads by example. Congratulations and bless you, brother. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Roman Jones, please. All right. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Pass the tissue. All right. Moving to item 10, subcommittee reports. Item 23-5808, minutes. Approval of the December 11, 2023 tax increment reinvestment zone number one board meeting minutes. Mr. Brosh is our chair, and I'll turn it over to you, sir. 
Yes, Mayor. Uh, the uh, Tours Increment Reinvestment Zone Board Number One uh, convened on uh, December the 11th at 1 p.m. Uh, I called the meeting to order. Uh, yourself, uh, Mr. Tenori, uh, Alberto Marys uh, was there in uh, Miss Bounds, and <clears throat> uh, Commissioner Simmons was absent that day. We discussed uh, and had possible action regarding a TERS reimbursement agreement with the IPRR South Point Number 9 LLC, which is one of our uh, larger programs, uh, developments that we have down in the south, uh, south part of South Point. And the Assistant City Manager, Matt Jones, provided background on, on this project, spoke on the monetary request by IPRR, uh, and answered board questions. He gave suggestions on different reimbursement options, including only reimbursing for streetscape. And uh, so a motion was made by uh, uh, Mayor Evans, board member Evans, to grant up to $500,000 performance-based reimbursement upon completion for retail streetscape. That was seconded by board member uh, Todd Tenori. Motion carried unanimously in the room. We also had uh, discussion possible action regarding a TERS reimbursement agreement for Hilton Garden in project. And uh, again, Matt Jones provided the background on the project, spoke on the new request by Hilton Garden Inn, and answered board questions on the development. At that point, the board took no action, and uh, we adjourned at 1.27 p.m., and that's so stated. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. All right, is there a motion? A motion to approve. Thank you, sir. All right, second. Is there a second? Ms. Bounds? Oh, second. <laughs> oh, you do it. Okay, I'll do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. I could. All right, let's vote. See, we're just all so broken up, I tell you. All right, thank you very much. That motion carries. Three, zero, with one, abstaining. All right, item 11. Staff comments. Mr. Smolinski, do we have any comments, sir? No, ma'am. All right. Thank you very much. Item 12. Is there any action pursuant to executive session? Hearing none, saying none. Thank you very much. Item number 13 is our consent agenda. All matters that are listed under the consent agenda <clears throat> have been previously discussed, require little or no deliberation, or are considered to be routine by the council. If discussion is desired, then an item will be removed from the consent agenda and considered separately. Otherwise, approval of the consent agenda authorizes the city manager to implement each item in accordance with staff's recommendation. Council, are there any items that you would like removed at this time? Mayor, I'd like to remove 23-5812. Yes, sir. Thank you. Are there any others, Council? All right. Hearing none, I'm ready to receive a motion. Motion to approve. All right. Thank you, Ms. Bounds. Second. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Mr. Newsom. All right. Questions? Hearing none, please cast your votes. <clears throat> item. item. Yeah, we're getting ready. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. No, you're good. 
All is well. Sorry. We're all broken up over Roman leaving too, so you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Item carry seven zero. All right. Item twenty three dash five eight one two. Miss Seeger is going to put that up on the screen for us. I'll read it and we'll we'll talk about it. All right, it's resolution of the city of Mansfield, Texas, authorizing the filing of eminent domain proceedings for the purpose of acquiring real property for use by the city of by the, by the city for maintenance of the city's park and trail system and for other public purposes permitted by law. Mr. Brosh. Yes, uh, Mayor, I move that, uh, that the city council of the city of Mansfield authorize the use of the power of eminent domain to acquire the real property described in agenda item 23-5812 as presented, specifically lots 52R2, 53R2, 54R2, 57R2, 58R2, 59R2, 60R2, 61R2, 62R2, 63R2, 64R2, 65R2, 66R2, 67R2, 68R2, 69R2, 70R2, and 71R2 of Block 5, the Arbors of Creekwood addition to the City of Mansfield, Texas, Tarrant County. For the public use of maintaining the city's park and trail system, and I further move to adopt Agenda Item 23 that's 58.12 as presented. Thank you, sir. Second. Thank you, ma'am. Ms. Short seconded. Questions? Hearing none, please cast your vote. And that item carries 7-0. Thank you all very much. We're at item 14, our public hearing, item 23-5800, public hearing on a specific use permit for a gasoline service station on approximately 2.787 acres located at 1195 West Debbie Lane, uh, Schaefer Construction, owner developer Triangle Engineering LLC, engineering surveyor, SUP number 23-004, Mr. Alexander. Thank you, Honorable Mayor. Good evening, City Council. Before going into the presentation, I do want to make a quick note that this is an amended request for a specific use permit. There is a letter in front of you from the applicant. The request that went to the Planning and Zoning Commission was approving a specific use permit for a gasoline service station and a car wash. The car wash was removed formally by the applicant, and the request that is in front of you this evening is purely for a specific use permit for a gasoline service station. Thank you. Here is an aerial view of the property generally located at the southeastern corner of North Main Street and West Debbie Lane. The current zoning of the property is C2, Community Business District. Here is a photograph of the site. And pursuant to the provisions in section 155.080 of the Mansfield Zoning Ordinance, the purpose of an SUP is to more carefully consider uses that may require special consideration in certain settings or are of a public or semi-public character often essential or desirable for the general convenience and welfare of the community. 
which without specific consideration may have possible adverse impact on neighboring properties. And a specific use permit is required for this use because it is an automotive service. The site is laid out. Uh, generally with five inline field dispensers facing West Debbie Lane with the store building behind. There is a patio seating area in front. This would ensure that the project is meeting the requirements of the passive space and aesthetics requirements in section 155.092L of the zoning ordinance. And what is different about this particular passive space is that it will be framed with a split rail fence and stone columns that would match the exterior finished material for the store. And here's a general site plan kind of showing that which was mentioned a few moments ago. And you can kind of see back here some additional considerations for the passive space with the depressed area that is to serve as the detention area or retention area. The exterior finish of the store is primarily brick and stone. It is consistent on all four building facades. There are tower features provided at each end of the store with spandrel glass, non-reflective or mirrored that runs around all sides of the building with the exception of the front building facade which will have transparent glass that would allow for visibility into the interior of the store. One of the things I would mention architecturally is that it is inspired by the location at Broad Street and at Matlock Road. So although it is one story, it reads visually as proposed as a two-story building. And you see that here with the building elevations. This time there is the use of cast stone and not limestone as on the location at Broad Street and Matlock Road, but generally speaking, the architectural elements remain the same. And here's the canopy. And there are sidewalks that will be provided along Debbie Lane and North Main Street. A landscape buffer has been provided along the entire boundary of the lot that does abut a public street, and it is well landscaped and there's a 10-foot wide landscape buffer along the property boundary to the south and east that is adjacent to the Pickle Farm. And you see that here. There are two monument sides that are proposed, one along West Debbie Lane and the other along North Main Street. Both are 10 feet in height, match the building, and have a signed area of 50 square feet. There are four wall signs that are on all sides of the building. And you see the sign plan here that generally shows the signage as proposed if this request is approved. And the monument sign. Again, this project is generally inspired by and learns from the successes of the Broad Street and the Matlock Road location. And the applicant is delivering a physical outcome that leverages high expectations for architectural design, as well as it begins to establish a strong visual identity for the area that is called the Western Promise from the Mansfield 2040 plan. The use is consistent with land use patterns in the area and its surrounding environs. And one more item that I would add here for consideration of City Council is that this is also part of a request for a variance that was approved in 2021 for a reduction in the distance to be able to sell alcohol. And also, 
an acknowledgement of our growing desire for art and commitment to arts and culture. The applicant has committed to coordinating with the Department of Planning and Development Services and other departments to provide some enhanced art features as part of the signage plan and the design of the site. The Planning and Zoning Commission met on December 4th and voted five to one with one absence to recommend approval of the request with the following three conditions, that all glazed areas with direct views into the interior of the store be no more than 10% tinted, e.g. no reflective, non-reflective, or mirrored glazing, that the two monument signs be constructed of brick and stone and match the schedule of exterior finish on the store. In the renderings that were shown previously for the signs, that was a nod to addressing that condition by the applicant. And finally, from the Planning and Zoning Commission, that the area designated as passive space between a wood fence and a paved area uh, be paved to match the material of the pedestrian path that runs parallel to the store. And that's just ensuring that there's consistency aesthetically with the paving materials. And if the request is approved by City Council, the Department of Planning and Development Services recommends the same conditions that the Planning and Zoning Commission proposed to the City Council, as well as the requirement that the detention area, retention area, be fenced and appropriately landscaped and activated for pedestrian use. The fencing for this area should match the same splits rail style fencing around the enclosed patio area. And the applicant is here, Mayor City Council. They do have a presentation, and if I may yield to them. Yes, sir. As the applicant comes, please state your name and also uh, your address for the record. Good evening, Mayor, Council. My name is Rob Dakey. My address is 708 Hackberry Ridge Drive in McKinney, Texas. And I would be remiss if I didn't just open with a very brief statement. Our, our firm is working currently in about 50 cities around the country. And I cannot express to you how valuable our experience with the staff has been. It's been absolutely fantastic. We've not always agreed on everything. They don't always agree with us. We don't always agree with them. But the level of sophistication and the ability to engage in a genuine dialogue that's give and take is absolutely fantastic. And I just, I, I think... Uh, I spent 12 years on a city staff. We don't get a lot of kudos. It's a hard job, um, and I want to acknowledge that because it's been very, very helpful. Thank you. And, and, and I hope that, as a segue into the presentation, I hope that you see some of that represented. Um, as, as Mr. Alexander indicated, one of the big changes we've made since we went to P&Z was we pulled the car wash. We talked to a number of folks. We heard resoundingly that th that's not something that the community wanted to see. We pulled that it makes it very easy for us to engage in those kinds of analyses in terms of, of bottom line and whether we can absorb those kinds of things if we just get clear direction at the outset. And we absolutely got that here and we're very happy to pull that. Um, this store is a Gen 2 store. This is very similar to um, the Matlock project that you see here in town um, with a few changes, as Mr. Alexander mentioned, primarily related to architectural features and some layout issues um, to try and take advantage of lessons learned. We are compliant with your comprehensive plan. I know you've put a lot of work into that. That's a fairly new document. Um, we are completely compliant with those terms. Um, here's a, a shot that shows the site today, um, effectively abandoned, nothing going on, nothing's activated, no activity. And then we've got some renderings here that show our proposed layout. Um, as you can see, 
you know, keeping in mind that we're building a C store here, we've gone to some pretty significant lengths, we think, to try and work with the staff and create something that everybody's gonna be proud of. Um, working hard to activate that back section with the pedestrian path, recognizing the proximity to educational facilities. There's, there, there's good reasons to try and activate that entire area and, and this is our best attempt at trying to do that. Some exterior shots. I won't spend any time on this unless you have specific questions. I think Mr. Alexander's covered those. Site plan, here's our corner, here's a rendering that shows um, what our current proposal would look like if approved. And then of course, happy to answer any questions you all may have. Sure. All right, I'll begin on my left. Any questions, colleagues? Go ahead, Ms. Short. I uh, appreciate everything that you've said. Um, it's been my experience that the 7-Elevens look great when they're first built, and after about a year, that all changes. And I even went to a couple today and took some photos, and <clears throat> excuse me, the landscaping doesn't stay maintained. Trash all over the parking lot. Uh, ads fill the windows, so I'm not sure why we're picky about the, the, the window tinting. And then the aisles are just full of products can you tell us why this would be different? I cannot, but let me introduce Aaron Miller, who's my client, who can't speak to those kinds of operational issues, certainly. Okay. Right. Ms. Miller, if you would, uh, state your name as well as your address. Nothing yeah, good afternoon. Aaron Miller, 2601 yeah. Network Boulevard, Frisco. Thank you. Um, I'm not sure which ones you uh, frequented or visited today. Uh, we were the developer of Broad and Matlock as well. Um, that one I just went into today and I thought it looked good as well. Um, but the newer second gen stores um, obviously are more spacious on the inside, um, have a really good offering, um, definitely more contemporary and modern. Some of the older sites that you know were potentially acquired by 7-Eleven, um, and they try and remodel them to make them work, um, you know, don't give the best aesthetics and potentially don't look as good um, as the new stores do. So I don't know if there was any other specific items to address on that, but. Well, I'm, I agree with you that the one at Matlock and Broad does look great, but it is brand new. The one, out, uh, one of the ones was the, the one at South Main and Heritage Parkway. So okay. it was built as a 7-Eleven. Okay. And so I, I was on council several years ago when that was approved, and that was another council member's concern at that time, and it's proven out. So that's my concern moving forward is, I, you know, the one at Matlock and Broad is beautiful. It looks mm -hmm. wonderful. And I don't know if maybe enough storage is not built into the plan, and that's why the... The aisles are full of product all the time, or yeah. if, if it changes ownership and maybe the, the second owner doesn't care for it the way the first one did, I don't know how that works, and I don't know how you can ensure that this one will be maintained well over the years. Right. Um, well, we are definitely the, the property owner, or will be the property owner and developer, 7-Eleven's um, our tenant. Um, and they have pretty high standards to their new franchisees on the new stores. They're spending a lot of money on these second generation stores. And with that, they keep a lot um, higher standards. I flipped over to the slide that shows the floor plan of the interior of the store. And it does have good storage in the back. 
Um, I have not noticed that it brought a malloc with the product in the aisles, and sometimes when you get there on truck day it, and they're busy, it may take a little bit longer for them to unload that. Uh, but there's definitely, you know, ample space in the back rooms on these newer stores to address those kind of issues. All right, thank you. Thank you, Ms. Short. All right, Mr. Noor. Yes, so all the stores currently are managed by different folks, or is this the corporate store here? Um, so we are working with the corporate directly on this. Um, once the store is open and operating, they have the right to franchise them as they do in other places. Um, sometimes on these newer stores, they keep them corporate owned. Um, some do get franchised. Broad and Matlock, I believe, was a franchisee as well. Um, so we have no control on that um, because they are ultimately responsible as the tenant. Uh, real, and this is a question for Jason Alexander. Jason, can you mention retention? Uh, is there, do we have a retention pond on this property? No, sir. It would be an area that is depressed that could serve as detention or retention. And one of the reasons why we wanted to beautify that area was so that in the event of a significant rain event, it just didn't appear as if it was just a depressed area, but that it was something that was actually part of the development. Okay, thank you. All right, Mr. Bronx. Okay. All right, Mr. Newsom. All right, go ahead, Mr. Lewis. Uh, thank you, sir. So I, I saw on the slide presentation it said Gen 2. You mentioned Gen 2. But I also know that there's, I've heard, like, it's next generation or next gen that has different product offerings. Are you saying, the, are those the same things, or is there a difference between Gen 2 and next gen? Um, so then the next gen's an evolving thing. <laughs> In retail, everything's ever-evolving. Um, gen, gen 2 stores, they're latest and greatest of what they do, and it's mainly, you know, what the inside of the store offerings are. Um, so I don't know exactly what those will be, um, but it's their best and newest um, floor plan. Okay. So if, if not floor plan or building design, uh, specifically to the, the store itself, I've, I've went to one in Prosper. I think it's, uh, it's specifically a 7-Eleven next gen, has a different logo, everything. And it was fantastic and had a full different product set than any 7-Eleven I had ever been in, including fresh produce, sandwiches, drink machine walls. And I mean, it was, yep. it was definitely a different standard. Um, I thought when we were getting brought a Matlock, that had been kind of a request that was put in. I thought we were getting something a little bit like that. It's a nicer aesthetic store, but ultimately it's a 7-Eleven, just like all the other 7-Elevens. Um, and then you've got the corporate store versus franchising. And I've noticed corporate stores, they look great. Everyone I've ever been in usually is well-maintained. The franchise stores, though, like to Councilwoman Short's point, relatively quickly after they become franchise or the franchise stores themselves, the floors are sticky, the slurpy machines out of stuff. I mean, it just, right. they're not maintained to that same standard. Um, and it has an impact on the adjacent residents that are that are nearby and so I think that's a general concern that we've just experienced with multiple 7-elevens that are in Mansfield um, could you and this may be for you sir I apologize I didn't write your name down uh, could you go to the slide uh, the overhead slide uh, 
aerial that had the detention pond. Yeah, that one will work. So I see that it's super well landscaped on that side closest to the pickle factory, but when I look in my site plan, it says hydro mulch Bermuda grass with temporary irrigation um, on the actual site plan. And so I don't think it's going to look like the image you've shown us if it's hydro mulched with temporary irrigation system out there. I have my engineer here as well, which will okay. be better. Kevin Patel, 1782 West McDermott Drive, Allen, Texas, 75013. So the southern area is a detention area. It's a dry detention pond. Uh, what we have proposed is a Bermuda grass with the temporary irrigation system. Once the grass is grown, irrigation system will be removed and it will be maintained. The detention pond will be cleaned up every rainfall event, after a major rainfall event, and the grass will be mowed on a regular basis. That's the intent over there. I just, it, it will not look like the image you just showed us where it's beautiful landscaping, it's hydro mulch sod, or not even sodded or, or irrigated, it's just gonna be a detention area that's not fully landscaped or amenitized in any way. It's going to be a, a dry pond that fills up with water on occasion. And other than that, it's gonna be just a depressed area, is that? So the, the back area, and hopefully it's clear on the site plan, the back area is the detention pond. That path that goes around is more that activated right. open space, passive space. This is um, the detention area. Right. No, I, I understand where, where the area is. I'm just saying it's from an aesthetic viewpoint and everything, it's just going to be just a depressed area without landscaping, and it's just there to hold water when it, in a heavy flood event, all your water is going to drain off there and then ultimately... <clears throat> clear out, but when it's not wet, it's not landscaped, it's a basic patch of grass that doesn't have any kind of irrigation for ongoing maintenance. There's not any detention, like set walls or anything that store the water to make it an actual more retention section. It's just a place where we're gonna put a bunch of water runoff and doesn't look great. Just landscaped around the trees and everything the irrigation. Right, the entire area here is kind of landscaped. Uh, just only at the detention area, we have the Bermuda grass. We can certainly put the regular sod over there with the permanent irrigation if that's what cities desire, um, desire to have that. But we can certainly do that. Uh, the intent here of having a Bermuda grass and a temporary irrigation because once the rainfall, uh, once the uh, Bermuda grass is established, it's you know, it's 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 be, uh, easier to maintain compared to regular sod, and uh, of course we'll have to mow that uh, on a weekly basis or bi-weekly basis, depending on the growth of grass in that area. Uh, but again, if if you guys want to have the uh, sod in uh, regular grass instead of having the Bermuda grass, we can certainly we are open to do that. The concern goes back to the same. Same concern on the ongoing maintenance of the property and the landscaping and all the things. If that's a f essentially Bermuda grass that's not on an irrigation system or anything permanently, we all know what this place looks like in mid-September after we've had a hundred straight days of hundred degree weather. If that, I, I hear you say that the intent is that that's maintained weekly and mowed weekly, but that's not our experience with other properties. So having that just as a, a patch of grass that's not irrigated, sure. that Bermuda grass is gonna die the first summer that 
summer heat that's there, it's not gonna come back, and now we've just got a detention area that's not amenitized. Mr. Alexander, I think in your recommendations there was something related to this, is that correct? That is correct, sir, because of those exact concerns. So we can certainly change that to the regular grass with a permanent irrigation system. Uh, absolutely no issue with that. Okay. Mr. Alexander, would your would what he is saying meet your recommendation, or would you have other intents for that area? It would meet the recommendation because it would encompass that entire area, and we would also be able to work with the applicant if the request is approved on their landscaping plans to ensure that that area is activated for pedestrian activity and it matches the aesthetic of the store. Okay, and Mr. Alexander, the, uh, the project at Broad and Matlock, um, I know that there was a lot of discussion and significant consideration to um, screening the gas pumps so that they're not the prominent feature that's seen, but you actually get a, the, the building that is seen. Um, were any conversations had to um, more shield the front, um, the gas pumps and make the building itself more prominent? Yes, sir. Those conversations were had with the applicant, and those same conversations were had with the applicant with the Planning and Zoning Commission about the desire to maybe see the canopy in a building flip-flop. However, we did end up settling on this proposed site plan uh, based off the conversations from the Planning and Zoning Commission and the desire of the applicant to work with the Department of Planning and Development Services and other departments on enhancing the area to the rear with the detention area, retention area. Okay, thank you. And just to address the store in Frostburg, that's a, that was more of a test store there, um, and the second gen was the name at that time. So a lot of those features are pulled into these, you know, gen two stores. I don't know which ones directly and that change will change all the way up until the day they open i'm sure um, but they do try and take the best of you know those newer stores and put them into something like this miss bounds and mr newsom you all go ahead miss bounds so i live right over there by all that and uh, i share some of the same concerns as councilwoman uh, short and councilman uh, lewis about um, the integrity of it after it's been there for a year or so. Uh, I don't want to drive by there and see trash, and, and I'll be frequenting the store, so I don't want to have to go in there and step over things and move around things. So when you franchise this store out, is there certain um, criteria that an owner that would franchise it and take it as far as like a time span before it becomes theirs completely, because I don't know if a franchise does that, if you give it to them completely, or if they take it on and after a period of time it becomes theirs. So the property is fully leased by 7-Eleven, um, and they have an agreement with the franchisee. Uh, they have a very strict code that they go by, that they have certain maintenance requirements, um, landscaping requirements, things like that. That all is governed through 7-Eleven corporate. Um, so the franchise will be leasing the property from 7-Eleven? They franchise, so they have like a license agreement with 7-Eleven to operate it. 
And so what would become 7-Eleven's responsibility for any upkeep of that? Do they have, do they require any kind of check-ins for it or? They do from the corporate side of things. Um, I don't know what the frequency is on those things. Um, and they have a certain standard that they have to meet, you know, when their check-ins are. Um, and I think there's fines or I'm not sure exactly how it's structured. We are not privy to those franchisee agreements. And so we were talking about, because I know last year when we were talking about this uh, over here, we talked about the Generation 2 and the Gen 2 type stores. And we talked about that the products in it generally are a little different. Uh, we talked about that there may be produce in there. And uh, there was also talk of a taco place in there where you could come and order tacos. but. They, they talked about how it would be a higher level. Um, I know you explained a little bit to Councilman uh, Lewis about the difference, but really, really and truly, what is the difference between a Gen 2 and a typical 7-Eleven like Councilwoman Short was talking about down the street? What would be the difference on the inside or that would make it set itself up? apart and be the greatest thing that we've ever seen in a 7-Eleven. So Gen 2 floor plans and the plans just came out at the end of December. So um, they're very new. It's not something you would see in another store. Um, as far as product mix, I mean, that's ever changing as a retailer. Um, what they put things in there and what doesn't do well, obviously they pull them and it's just ever changing cycle. Um, I like I said, they you know take the best of what they've seen at these test stores, such as the one in Prosper, um, their test lab stores, that there's one off of 30, um, and they try and put it in this, you know, those product mix here. But as far as what that is, I, I do not know. But 7-Eleven would have some say a little bit in what that franchise would look oh, like? Oh, absolutely, yes. Okay. That's all that I have. And just for the record, this isn't 100% a franchise store. I, d I don't know if this is a corporate or a franchise. That's a decision that they make, you know, later on in the process. So it could be a corporate store as well. That would be nice if it was a corporate store. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't have any say over that, though. Okay, just my two cents. <laughs> we will let them know. Right, are there any others? Go ahead, Mr. Brosh. I'd like to ask our attorney a question. Yes, sir. Uh, is there a way, I've just received uh, some photos uh, from uh, Ms. Short that showed what she has seen uh, today, I guess, and it, it, it really is atrocious. So what my question is, is can we approve a structure like this or a, a development like this with conditions that would penalize if if it got out of control, if if trash and so forth was uh, was dominant uh, outside, if it was uh, dirty inside. Uh, I'm just wondering, do, are we overstepping our abilities at that point? No, typically with an SUP, like what they're they're asking here for, you you can put conditions on. Um, you could even put a time period on if you want them to come back and apply for that SUP, um, so that you're not stepping 
out of bounds. It's just really what, what you'd like to, to consider as far as that I didn't goes. think we were, but I wanted to make sure because uh, I think that might be a possibility that we uh, put conditions. It would not be unreasonable, but would be uh, profitable for the city. Thank you. Mr. Bryce, I think that's a, that's a great question because in regard to our 7-Elevens, I think we have about six or seven in town now. I, too, would say that um, in regard to the upkeep of them, it's not the best. <clears throat> so I, I didn't know what, uh, what, what actual authority we have in regard to our code enforcement that would allow us to do that. I mean, it would be the same with, with our newest one. And uh, I appreciate hearing from Councilwoman Bounds because, uh, you know, she lobbied hard for the uh, newest store to have all of those Gen 2 or next gen um, uh, amenities and, and all of that. So, yeah, I, I, I think that I think that what you're hearing from us is that, you know, it, it, it looks great at the beginning, but then when we frequent the stores, it doesn't, doesn't look that way later on. And um, the point has definitely already been made regarding the SOD because um, it's not going to take but a couple of weeks in a Texas summer for that to be good and brown. And we'll have um, brown SOD and smell pickle juice all day. So... <laughs> You know that that's that's some of, that's some of our, our concern. Thank you, though, for um, hearing our sentiments regarding the car wash. We appreciate that. So, all right. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Council. Are there any other any other comments to be made? Y yes, ma'am. So I want to ask one more question about the difference between franchise and corporate. Okay. Um, so the Seven Eleven could be corporate correct? Yes. Or it could be franchise. Yes. What is the criteria that would make the decision between one or the other? That is internal to their company. I, I can't answer that. I don't, do not know. It is, so for our attorney, is there a possibility to approve with a condition that it become a corporate um, type 7-Eleven? Uh, I don't, I don't know that we have the ability to control that. Um, you could control, you could put a condition on it um, to bring it back within a certain amount of time period, and if it's switched from the corporate role or not, you, you can't tie your condition on who the applicant is and, and, and uh, whether it changes hands, but you could bring it back, and if it, you know, switched or if you didn't, if it, other conditions weren't met, you couldn't so renew it. So we could say that... Um, we would want at the time that it moves from corporate to a um, franchise that they bring it back to us and let us know that. Mm. Uh, I would feel better about a condition instead that is just this SUP is going to be good for X amount of time um, and instead of a trigger on the, app, the, the ownership switching hands. Um, so it comes back to you in X number of years, however, or months, however many, whatever time period you want, and then you an, an analyze it at that time. Does that make sense? Instead of just an open-ended may or may never come back. Okay. Okay, Mr. Nora, then Mr. Lewis. 
Yeah, this is a question for Joe. Joe, could we not consider putting a pit on this property? I mean, to protect this this business 15 years from now, protect our citizens. If it's if it, if we get a bad, a bad franchisee that doesn't take care of it, uh, well, we can actually use that money fix it. I, if I they choose not to put a lien on it. I don't think the pit, a pit is the right mechanism for this. I think we have two tools that are already at our disposal. Uh, one is code compliance and the other is the health inspections. Uh, both of those things are at our disposal and we can use for that. Uh, I, I would be curious after the meeting to talk to Ms. Short and get a, get a address for those uh, if, they, if they're that bad. Um, I, I don't know, I might even just recommend if you have specific specific issues that you haven't seen addressed here, if we can just maybe even table this, come back, get some changes made to it, maybe that's probably the more efficient way to do it. Yeah, I, I think so. I, you know, these, these folks are beneficiaries of those that have come before them. I mean, <laughs> we can ride around town, it's pretty obvious. I mean, when I met with you, I mentioned the same exact thing. Mm -hmm. You've got a beautiful 7-Eleven at Broad Matlock. The rest of them aren't. So, unfortunately, you're putting the same name on this building as the ones that aren't in our town. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm for tabling this myself okay. and uh, trying to figure out, and more so for internally, I don't want to see it denied. If we deny it, you know, it's gone. So I'd rather table it. So we can internally address what we're going to do to help maintain the ones we got before we approve another one. All right, Council, we got a motion to table. Chair, second. I'll make a motion to table. All right, we have a motion. Chair, second. No second. Okay. All right, no second. Then the motion fails. All right. All right, uh, Mr. Lewis has Just comments. One, to get one clarification out. So I'm not in favor of an SUP time period. I think we had the same discussion with Costa Vida when we did the drive-through for them several years back. And it's, it's not fair to somebody that's going to go invest a seven-figure number into our community to then have a timeline where their business could completely shut down a few years after they've opened because of the contingency. And I don't think anybody would actually, any business owner would actually invest that capital with with that happening. So I've, I'm not in favor of the specific timeline. Um, but I do know that SUPs are good for the business entity that is applying for them. Um, so like if a coffee shop asked for a drive-through permit and then that coffee shop no longer existed and another coffee shop wanted to come into that place, they would have to go through a specific use permit process for approval. Is that not different from an ownership change? So typically an SUP is a use consideration. Um, and so you're, you're analyzing whether this particular use that they're applying for is appropriate for this location. So, um, Typically, we don't talk about ownership in that because we—it's a use question. It's not a ownership question, um, and so it just 
it gives me a little bit of heartburn when we start talking about ownership and, and change of ownership. What, what I look through is the in the SUP requirements, all of them are to protect the adjacency. Sure, thing. absolutely. And what we have is a reputation of multiple stores of this type that um, don't adhere to our standards, either from a trash standpoint, from a code enforcement side, that we do go code enforcement, but there's only so much code enforcement's gonna do, and they don't touch the inside of a store with a sticky floor or gross bathrooms or falling apart things, and that is our history with multiple 7-Elevens in Mansfield. Not saying that all of them, in my experience in your corporate stores, are that they're, they're beautiful, but very consistently franchised stores, their goal is to squeeze every penny of profit out that they can, and they're not reinvesting into their bathrooms and making sure that they've got staff that's mopping floors or making sure all of the equipment's working all the time. Um, and so those things do have an impact on the adjacent property owners, whereas a maybe a different flag of the same use doesn't have that history. So that's why the ownership, I think, is important in this case. But um, I, I don't see a path to get around my concerns with the history that we have on multiple other stores at this time. All right. Council, with that in mind, let me um, open the public hearing, if that's all right. We have any other comments? Let me just go ahead and open and close public hearing. All right. So I will open the public hearing at um, 7, <laughs> 7 11. <laughs> I'm not, not being a funny man. I mean, yeah, make it up. Put <laughs> the clock on the wall. But anyway, moving along, <laughs> we have no cars. Well, God dog it, I'm gonna close it at 7-Eleven. My goodness, I don't know if that's an omen or not. But I'm just saying. All right. Well, I'll call for a motion at this time. Chair is ready to entertain a motion. Mayor, I'll, I'll move, Mr. Brosh. I'll move to approve it with stipulations that the city can issue fines based on violations uh, of our uh, ordinance, our code, city code ordinance. Okay. All right. We have a motion. Is there a second? I'll second. All right. Motion second. Questions? Yes, Mayor. I'd Go like ahead, to make sir. a motion to amend that motion. All right. Uh, to include the PNZ and staff recommendations as presented this evening for the landscaping and the various detention pond amenities that were on Mr. Alexander's presentation. Right. And I would accept that as a as a part of the motion, if you'd prefer. Yes, uh, sir. All right. All right. So those are included in the original motion. That's included okay. in the original. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Madam Attorney. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> any, any other statements? All right. Uh, please cast your vote. All right. And it passes 4-3. Thank you all very much. All right, moving to item 15, item 23-5657, ordinance public hearing and first and final reading of an ordinance amending chapter 155 of the Mansfield Code of Ordinance 
zoning to create a new section 155.057 neighborhood design standards and related development regulations it's OA number 23-008 Mr. Alexander thank you mayor city council this is an item that we brought to you in December of creating a new section within our zoning ordinance entitled Neighborhood Design Standards in section 155.057 if approved. And these proposed standards will run parallel to the following zoning districts, OP, Office Park, C1, Neighborhood Business, C2, Community Business, and C3, Commercial Manufacturing, district and the reason for this proposed new section is because of the recent changes to state law dealing with non-conforming uses and structures some of the general performance standards as proposed are that principal buildings will be between two and four stories in height outbuildings or accessory buildings are limited to two stories in height no minimum lot width or lot size requirements all lots must front a thoroughfare or a civic space. There's a 20-foot front setback maximum. And all principal buildings must provide some type of building frontage. And there are four. And just going through three of those, a dooryard, a stoop, and a shop front, and the other being a gallery. In terms of building use, commercial uses uh, generally that are found in traditional neighborhoods are what are proposed. In addition to row houses and manor houses, there are proximity restrictions. And part of that is to maintain the commercial integrity of the OP, C1, C2, and C3 zoning districts. Uh, flats are only permitted as an accessory use to a mixed-use building, meaning that the entire ground floor would have to be dedicated to commercial use. And adult-themed establishments and medical clinics or urgent care are not allowed. Those were the considerations that we brought to you back in December to create environments such as this, and this, and this. And there are deviations that are proposed, and that deals with the traveling widths of thoroughfares, maximum building area, the minimum building height, and the maximum building height, the requirement for designing for tenant flexibility, and the allocation of commercial tenant space on two or more acres. Based off the direction and guidance that we received from City Council at the last hearing on this item, there were multiple edits that we made. The first one deals with a PD plant development district, and instead of allowing the owner of a property or a developer that wishes to build under an existing PD plant development district to voluntarily comply with these requirements without some type of formal review that has been amended to have a recommendation from the Planning and Zoning Commission and approval provided by City Council. It wouldn't trigger a public hearing, but at least there would be some type of review so that way there was some type of recommendation and report brought to you as the decision-making body. Another edit dealt with the distance between principal buildings and those that are already existing. So adding a minimum requirement of 150 feet of distance between a proposed building under these standards and existing residential structure within the PR, pre-development, A, agricultural, all of the single family residential 
in the two family districts. So that way we didn't have any conditions where there were concerns about transitional height plane or having buildings that would tower over the existing urban fabric. And again, if the building is greater than 150 feet away, then it could be three or four stories in height. The next edit dealt with the deviation, and that was in terms of the design of buildings for tenant flexibility. So instead of requiring all buildings be designed for tenant flexibility, meaning that a restaurant use could be in a building because gas and other accommodations were provided, that restriction was amended to reflect only a building with a minimum of 5,000 square feet be designed for that type of tenant flexibility. Further, if a developer or property owner wanted relief from that, they could request a deviation directly from city council on that matter. And again, reflecting what the tenant flexibility requirement is, and that will be for commercial and mixed use buildings with a minimum of 5,000 square feet, and that's anticipating requirements for restaurant uses and operations. The next edit dealt with the public lighting and providing some standards for what that should look like. There are images that have been provided within the proposed neighborhood design standards for a public lighting along A thoroughfares and B thoroughfares. Along A thoroughfares, the maximum height would be 16 feet. That includes the actual standard or the pole and the luminaire or the lamp. And the same for B thoroughfares with a maximum height of 13 feet. There are visual exhibits that have been provided. A really good case in point of what lighting potentially could look like under these provisions would be at the development that is underway now at Parkside. That would be the appropriate height for public lighting along B thoroughfares. In terms of residential uses, detached single family residences have been introduced along with cottage courts. The minimum floor area for a detached single family residence as proposed under these provisions is 1,800 square feet, which is consistent with the D downtown district. And yielding, again, examples like this for single family. In terms of prohibited uses, the edit here was that any use that wasn't listed as a permitted use, it could come before the city council with a review and recommendation provided by the Planning and Zoning Commission and treating that use as a specific use permit. And the only uses that could not be allowed as a matter of right per review and consideration from City Council, again, would be the adult theme establishment and a medical clinic, including urgent care. But the other three would be automotive repair and or automotive service establishments, car washes and gas stations. And the idea is to ensure that we're sustaining neighborhood-oriented commercial activity and uses. In terms of civic space, uh, any part of a proposal or development that is located within 660 feet of existing civic space, passive space, or other type of required open space shall be exempted from the required civic space set forth herein. So essentially developments are within 660 feet would not be required to provide passive space or civic space, believing that that had already been addressed and within walking distance of the proposed development under these standards, which would yield an outcome like this. 
And in sum, the proposed neighborhood design standards, they are consistent with the vision for growth and development at neighborhood nodes as envisioned by the 2040 plan. They also reinforce city council strategic priorities for fiscal year 2023. And the potential properties that would be impacted by these proposed amendments are in front of you, C1, C2, C3, and OP. And I do just wanna highlight a few of these PD plant development districts. And the reason for highlighting those is because those PD plant development districts, they do reference C2 standards. And potentially, there could be a request that will come before city council asking to develop under those standards as opposed to the existing standards within that PD plant development district. The planning is only commissioned made on November 6th and voted 7-0 to, to recommend approval of the text amendment. Department of Planning and Development Services recommends approval of the text amendment with the edits as presented. And I'll pause there to answer any questions city council may have. All right, I'll start on my right. Mr. Lewis. Thank you, Mayor. Mr. Alexander, I think you did a fantastic job the first time. The red line's even better. Um, one comment or I guess question on how to do this and what may be appropriate and then if council it would support that in a motion. Um, on page three of 63 under the building height section with, with the edits, um, let me ask a row home or a town home, if they are individually platted units, are those considered single family? They are considered single family attached. Okay, so um, what I would, I believe that a, that adjacent to single family residential, it is probably inappropriate to have a three story or four story building that is a mixed use building or anything of those sorts, you know, 30, 40 feet off of the property line. That's why we've put in the 150 foot setback. But I, I don't think that a three story row home with the, you know, if they're using the rooftop as a patio or some of the others that we actually have approved recently and seen all over the place, I don't think that that's an inappropriate use at, at three stories as single family. Um, that would be still, you still got an alley, it can't be front loaded. It's still got a good setback. It's not towering over somebody's backyard to do that. Would an appropriate addition under that um, be to, under the way it's currently written, that would be limited to two stories? Yes, sir. And so would an appropriate addition be something along the lines of allowing a single family attached or detached home against that to be excluded from the 150 foot requirement? Yes, sir. And if I may, to the point that you brought up, Councilmember Lewis suggests if city council is in agreement with that provision would be that single family residential attached or single family residential detached shall be exempt from this requirement if it's three stories or less. Council, I'd love to hear if there is support. If there is, I will include it in a motion. I am polling the group now. Go ahead, Mr. Newsom. Actually, I don't know that I would really be that supportive of three-story residential row homes or whatever against an additional. I mean, even if it is similarly uses, in my opinion, I'm not sure that. I mean, I think most people, if it's if something that's residential is going in next to residential, they expect it to be you know two stories. Not too many people are 
you know, existing homeowners are anticipating or expecting three-story residential to go up next to them. But that's my opinion. Okay. Appreciate it. All right. Go ahead, um, Ms. Short. Um, I, I'm okay with what Casey said. I, I think the same thing. Just if it's the row home, like what we've approved before already, I could see that working. I had a couple of questions, and I, and I asked you about this last time, and you may have answered this, and I just don't remember. But um, where it talks about being ready for restaurants, um, that's just making sure that the utilities needed are to the building. Is that correct, or is that are they required to put in like a chase for future grease trap? It's the latter, council members, short of making sure that there are grease traps, that sort of thing provided originally when we first visited on this item. And the edit to it was to remove that requirement for any building that was 5,000 square feet or less, and also to allow additional relief to the developer or the property owner to come before city council and request a deviation from that requirement. Okay, so it's gotta be fitted for a grease trap or they actually have to add the grease trap? Fit it. Fit it, okay, perfect. And then um, just a, a couple other questions. I know, and I can't remember what page it was on, I just have it in my notes, that, that one of the streets required a 12-foot sidewalk. When then, some of the lanes are only 11 feet wide, so I just wasn't sure why we were 12 foot. I know that we were trying to get wider sidewalks to allow for the commercial activity on the ground floor to expand outward for outdoor dining, outdoor seating. Okay, and I think we did talk about that where you've got strollers and yes, people sitting outside eating and, and things like that. Okay. And then one last question. Uh, we talked about the, the rear alley access, um, that the alley had to be 14 feet, and then it talked about a 20-foot easement. Is that the approach has to be 20 feet wide or there's an additional 20 feet? It's the entire easement width is the, a minimum of 20 total. feet. okay. Yes, ma'am. And that would be for the residential use only. And then for commercial use, it could be wider. Okay, does that allow for someone to park behind the garage in the alley? It wouldn't allow for that in the alley. What we have noticed of late with a lot of our row house development requests is that they have an approach for a driveway into the garage where they accommodate cars to be able to park there as opposed to in the alley. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. All right. Anyone else down on the left side? Mr. Brosh. Uh, yes. On, uh, Jason, on 155.057H, general in C. Uh, we talk about uh, different, uh, different types of streets. When have we started allowing asphalt on new streets? I think that there have been some conversations in the past of wanting to mix up the paving materials for streets, of seeing asphalt and concrete. And that's partly because of what we have seen in some other developments that have held up pretty well, particularly on the asphalt side. And I know that there are a couple of developments that are in the works right now where we have made that request for asphalt. But in terms of the more heavily traveled thoroughfares, the standards as proposed, they do yield to the Department of, the Texas Department of Transportation, as well as other engineering standards that might require a different paving material. So those would preempt what's in here. 
Right. I, it just gives me a little concern because, again, it's great to start with, but 15 years from now, uh, I, I could almost see it in driveways and things like that, but uh, even lightly traveled streets, we all know what potholes are like. I, like I can take you to a handful of them even, even within our great city. Um, so I, I do have some concerns about that, about asphalt, and I would... Uh, uh, would lean to council to, to decide whether we really do want to make that a, a uh, full-fledged change over the past 20 years of requiring uh, concrete of some concrete or masonry. I, I get the, the uh, aesthetic side of things such as the brick pavers or things of that nature. However, asphalt, especially when it's new for a couple of years, it's hotter than blazes. Uh, you know, we can all fry our eggs out there in the summertime, so I'm not sure that that's a good aesthetic one. Just something to, to consider there. Uh, this mandatory sidewalks at 12 feet wide, I was a little bit taken back by that also to know they're wider. Than, and I believe that was on the Type A and B streets, if I'm Type not. Type A. Just the Type A. Okay, so on the main the thoroughfares yes sir okay and then uh on i just following that down under general c and then uh, uh go to i the lot standards no minimum lot widths no minimum lot size lot coverage shall not exceed 80 percent i'm not sure what that means could the lot coverage so meaning the actual footprint of the building is not to exceed 80 can exceed 80 percent okay all right. Uh, I think that's all. That's all I had. Okay. Primary <clears throat> concern is the asphalt. All right. Thank you, Mr. Bross. Two things. Uh, one, uh, council still polling regarding uh, Mr. Lewis's uh, comments. I think for the most part, the majority seems to be okay with uh, what they heard from Mr. Lewis. Uh, asphalt um, is one now for us to decide on together. Go ahead, uh, Ms. Short. I'm just remembering some of our conversations about it in the past, and I believe one of the bonuses was how quickly the street could be repaired if it was asphalt and a lot less money on the repair, not necessarily on the original design but on the repair, and I believe we've done some asphalt overlays on concrete um, to give us a smoother ride just because of our active soil in this part of Texas and the movement and, you know, houses deal with foundation issues. We're dealing with that with streets when they're concrete and there's no give. So I, I think that was part of our conversation in thinking about that. That is correct. Anyone else want to add to that? Mr. Lewis? I do think... Mr. Brosh brought up a point that I had not considered. So um, these are roadways that could be private or public depending on their circumstance, right? They could be. Okay. So to that point, I may actually have some concerns along the asphalt if it's privately maintained. I don't have issues if it's a city public roadway of it being asphalt because we're going to take care of that. Um, but I think about um, the Best Buy parking lot where the uh, the entrance in off of 157 and you turn into that roadway. I mean, we that concrete 
failed completely for a year and we had to go through all kinds of instances with the private property owner just to get the concrete fixed. I can't imagine if that were privately maintained as asphalt in there. Um, so it's just, we know asphalt's going to cause those issues maybe a little bit more, but the benefits to what Councilwoman Short said is that the city can jump in, we can get it fixed, we can get it fixed quickly. We put it just in our maintenance operation budget and it's handled. Um, but if we're allowing this on private development, I can see how that could become a problem relatively quickly. So maybe the solution to that is to make sure that if it's going to be publicly maintained or publicly maintained, it can be asphalt. Um, I guess, uh, I'm trying to find where it is. It could be asphalt, cobble, concrete, stone, or similar other material subject to review and approval by the Director of Engineering Services. But if it's privately maintained, concrete, stone, cobble uh, of the sort, would that maybe address that concern? If I may ask, in regards to concern about asphalt, if city council desires, would it be reasonable to just make the request that it come back to you all for review and consideration? So essentially that the streets could be cobble, concrete, and the other material, but if it's asphalt, it comes to you for review as a deviation. So I think it's important to recognize that this isn't changing our code. Right or standards, this is providing additional options to somebody that may have property that's right. zoned this way. Um, so it's not a mandate across right. the board of it, uh, by any means that you will do this. They still have the existing code and existing <laughs> options, but if they want to go with these options because it provides us the neighborhood feel that we've all been after, we're providing that as a benefit to them. I just don't wanna see them take that option because it does have it gives them additional rights and benefits that they don't currently have. And so that they take those and then 10 years, 15 years from now, they've got a privately maintained asphalt street that isn't being privately maintained. And we don't have, we have to go through what we did with a private property owner previously on concrete. Um, but I don't wanna make them have to jump through extra hoops to just come see us to say, hey, we would like asphalt <laughs> instead of concrete in here. Sir, um, so I, I don't know where council would stand on that, but that would be my <coughs> recommendation is that if they're dedicating it as public roadway, that it would be fine to be asphalt. But if it's not going to be public, that it should be the concrete. Okay. I recognize Ms. Short. Go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say that it might be easier for the private owner to make the repairs if it was asphalt because of the because of the cost of the concrete the cost and the the time frame it's very well something to consider yeah and, and you, to that point mr lewis where i serve uh, we, we have asphalt and we have cement mix and in our particular case we just we we fix it i mean we have a right 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 right, right. we have a large constituency and they don't. They don't like um, potholes. So uh, we we fix it a lot quicker than the city would ever ask us to do it. So that's that's just that's just my point in that regard. So, all right. Go go ahead, Mr. News. Sure, um, Jason. Just going back to um, see what let's see which section was it? Is page page three 
um, of 63, uh, the existing condition section. Um, what is our existing setbacks on the bill line? I mean, I know this talks about taking it to 150. What is it currently? Like say, if there's an, for example, if there's an infill commercial lot, just like um, that's zone C2, um, and somebody wants to go build something on it that's, a, that's currently adjacent to residential, what are the current setbacks? So those setbacks are based off the height of the building. And I think they go all the way up to 75 feet minimum based off the height of the building. And under OP, C1, C2, and C3, if memory serves me correctly, the maximum height is 50 feet. Which translates to how many stories? Three or four. Okay, so if it's three stories, commercial, C2 or whatever going to adjacent residential, what how, what would that translate to as far as build line setbacks? Yes, yeah, so we would go currently. into feet. And I think we can calculate that pretty quickly, but it would go into feet. There is a table that is a part of the zoning provisions that deals with what that minimum height, that, um, pardon me, that minimum setback should be. Well, let me guess ballparking. Is it more or less than the 150 that we're proposing? It's far less than 150. It's far less than the 150 mm -hmm. that's proposed, that's being proposed. Okay. Um, 75 feet for 75 three stores. Feet. Okay. So, okay, so we ultimately aren't reducing the setback requirements you know, for an infill commercial adjacent to a residential? No, sir. Okay. All right, that was the only question I think I had right this second. <laughs> Yes, sir. Excuse me, that is a portion or clause that you would actually like to uh, go back and allow staff to, to rework for uh, uh, council approval, am I right, in that I, regard? Is that what you're asking, I sir? mentioned that, but I think in the sake, per Councilmember Lewis's comment, mm -hmm. perhaps if the asphalt could just be limited to public, public. their affairs, okay. and maybe what we could do is put in quotations there, public only, that that way will limit it there and that would address that concern. All right, council, is that agreeable? All right, we're nodding in affirmation. Okay, thank you very much. Are there any other comments before we open the public hearing? Go ahead, there, sir, I'm if sorry. I may. Yes, sir. I would like to take this time and opportunity to thank Mr. Jordan Drumgoole yes. for putting this together. This is his work. Right. And if you recall, he started off as an intern, yeah. and I remember that he stood before you all and said that he felt like he was being fired on his last day as an intern. So when you talk about next generation talent and when you talk about the future of Mansfield, you've got a resident that was raised here, that was born here, that is doing some magnificent work for a community that he loves. And I thought that would be most apropos if I took this opportunity to say to you all how grateful I am and to our city manager 
to our management team for allowing us to bring on a wonderful talent like Jordan and to show you what he's capable of with an ordinance like this. So thank you, Mayor, City Council. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you very much. Good job. All right. Moving right along. So then I will open our public hearing at 741 p.m. Do we have any cards, ma'am? No cards. All right, then I will close the public hearing at 7.41 p.m. I will call for a motion. Mayor. Yes, sir, Mr. Like Lewis. Make a motion to approve uh, with the following changes that uh, asphalt roadways be allowed if they are public use only mm -hmm. and that single family attached and detached shall be exempt from the height requirement as long as they are three stories or less. Thank you, sir. All right, is there a second? Second. Thank you, ma'am. That's Ms. Short. All right, questions? Here, are there any? Okay, hearing none, please cast your votes. All right, that item carries 6-1. Thank you all very much. All right, moving on to item number 16, item 23-5798. It's an ordinance, public hearing, at first reading on an ordinance approving a change of zoning from PR pre-development district to S South Mansfield form-based development district for a data center on approximately 26.897 acres, generally located at the southeast corner of Heritage Parkway South and Britain Road on property addressed at 3801 Britain Road. City of Mansfield applicant ZC uh, zoning case number 23-020. Mr. Alexander. Thank you, Mayor. Yes, Again, this is a request for a change in zoning from the PR Pre-Development District to the S South Mansfield Form-Based Development District, or SOMA, as we affectionately call it. Here is an, a map showing the existing zoning of the property. Again, PR. And it is directly east of the forthcoming entertainment district. Here is an aerial of the property. And you see that is generally bounded by Britton Road and Heritage Road. Here is a photograph of the site. And the primary intent of the S South Mansfield Foreign-Based Development District, it is to enable and to encourage a development pattern that is compact, mixed-use, walkable, and sustainable. I do want to harp on that point for a moment in that a lot of times when we consider mixed use, we consider multiple uses on a lot. What I would posit is that mixed use can also occur in adjacency, meaning that you can have a single use that can coexist with other uses, such as residential, commercial, entertainment, employment, and the like. And that would be an example here with this particular case that is before you this evening. This request to rezone the property, it does support and advance the city's visions and goals for attracting new investment. And there is a huge economic development portion that is tied to this case, although we are focusing on land use. And the use of data center, again, it can be integrated with other uses. This was the previous concept plan that was presented the operator of the, of the data center has made several changes to the concept plan, and I will certainly yield to them to walk us through that in their presentation that follows. 
but I did want to take just a few moments and talk about the elevations. Initially, these were the elevations that were proposed. And upon working with the operator and realizing the vast aesthetic potential of this area, those have been greatly enhanced. And in particular, if you notice here, there is an enhanced walkway and landscaping that not only helps to bring out the walkability of the area, particularly with the sidewalk that you see meandering along Britain Road as proposed, but it also helps to screen visually some of the less desirable elements of the data center, but that are needed in order for the data center to operate and to function as it is intended and supposed to. And you see from this image here, more of that landscaping plan of screening of uh, some of the building mechanical elements and some other items so that you have that more walkable urban streetscape along Britain Road. The property is greater than two acres in area, so a development agreement and a special land assemblage plan are required per the provisions of SOMA. Remember, the development agreement is reviewed and approved by city council, and a special land assemblage plan is there to ensure that the property is appropriately master planned in accordance with the provisions of SOMA. This request, again, is consistent with the vision for the direction for development and investment within this critical area along Toll Road 360, and the provisions of SOMA will encourage and sustain elevated placemaking. <clears throat> The Planning and Zoning Commission, they met on December 4th, 2023, and they voted four to two with one absence to recommend approval. The Department of Planning and Development Services recommends approval. And Mayor, City Council, if I may turn it over to the operator of the data center with their presentation. Yes, you may. Thank you. All right. Please state your name and address, sir. David Robinson, Align Data Centers, address at 2800 Summit Avenue in Plano, Texas. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor and Council. Thank you for uh, the presentation, sir. With me this evening, I also have my colleagues, so they're available to address any, uh, any comments they may have. Um, we'll begin with just a little bit about our company. Align Data Centers is Texas-based, headquartered there since 2017. The company was actually founded in 2013. We developed the first data center there in 2015. What's really important is we're an owner and operator of data centers. You can look at our economic scale, the developments that we've gotten, Virginia underway in uh, Georgia, Texas, Phoenix, Oregon, Illinois, Ohio, and we've got some international sites as well. But we're an owner operator. We're not somebody that you've got to worry about franchisees. God forbid. Uh, we're, we're not flipping this. Um, th this is something we're here to stay. We're going to be a member of the, of the community. Um, it's also important to recognize what's being considered this evening. It's just the rezoning. It is not the data center itself. So while you, you saw the visual of that, the city staff will be considering what is actually built there. It will go through your ordinances. City staff will review. They've provided some comments already. They'll provide more, I'm sure. Um, and by the way, the first applicant, what he said about the city staff, 
we can double down on that. It, it's been a great experience. So um, kudos to, to everybody in the city. Um, the requested rezoning, this is the parcel. To put it in perspective, we've got the railroad tracks to the north. We've got transmission lines to the west, substations right there humming along. This is not a place that you're going to want to put residential, highly populated areas. Um, it's also probably not an area you want a lot of trucks rumbling through. Um, you don't want warehouse distribution, anything like that. Data centers tend to be pretty low-key neighbors. By that, I mean not a lot of high traffic. So this, in many respects, is kind of an ideal location for a data center. And that's actually somewhat of a recent phenomenon because going back about 10 years ago, we would never consider siting a data center next to a railroad track. That was like taboo. Now it's acceptable. We've got the transmission lines there. So this, we think, is really an ideal location. The other thing, it can really anchor the development that's going to follow. You've got grand plans for the entertainment district to the west. Uh, the 2040 Mansfield Vision Plan has the proposed link special district to, I think, the northwest. That's an innovation district. You can't have innovation these days without data centers. Um, I don't know, has anybody been in a data center, knows what a data center is? You've been in one? So you know these are large facilities and all they do is house electronic equipment. But to have it be a data center, it needs reliable power, it needs to be highly secure, and it has to have the requisite environmentals. So temperature, humidity, things like that. Our staff that mans that, it's 24-7. But outside of that, there's not a whole lot of traffic after the facility is built. Um, you heard a little bit about the data center use. We've got people who can address many of these things. But again, very low truck trips, focus on security. We'll get into some of the benefits of data centers. But the great thing is these are highly secure facilities. We're not relying on your police department. Congratulations, sir, on your retirement. Uh, we're not relying on your fire department. Don't encourage that. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> but overall, these are very large capital investments into your community with a highly skilled workforce for the permanent jobs that are created. And it's not a huge burden on your, on your town. Um, this is compatible with your planning, your visioning uh, efforts. Uh, you saw this before. I'm going to try. I saw people do this. I, I thought that was really cool. I like that. Um, so the walkability, this is ideal for SOMA. SOMA is intended to ensure compatibility with area, uh, other planning efforts in the area, and the, vi and the vision. Um, the reason why SOMA is appropriate for this is because you've got so many things underway, so many contemplated uses in the area, that this will give you the flexibility to ensure compatibility with all that. Um, the usual concerns about data centers, oh, and let me erase that. We'll just give you another rendering, um, clear all, there we go. Um, we've got some other renderings toward the back, but this was one that city staff wanted to see, the illumination, how it would appear with that walkway with the bicycle path included as well. Uh, we think this shows pretty nicely. But then again, you do have the landscaping to, to, uh, to shroud that. Um, the usual concerns about data centers focus on sustainability. 
they are large users of power. Typically, they're large users of water as well. I'm going to explain why we're a little, we're a little different. Um, and then also just the amount of uh, equipment, carbon use in creating uh, data centers and the equipment that goes in there. Other concerns are noise. We'll address that in the creation of jobs. So as it relates to sustainability, we have really been stewards since our founding in 2013, focused on our patented efficient cooling technology. So we've got patents that were uh, part of the fast track patent program and we dramatically reduced the amount of power required to cool a data center by up to 90%. Yeah. We've got a closed loop system, um, so we have very low what's known as PUEs, power usage effectiveness ratings. We're also, uh, we embrace Green Globe certification for our facilities. A lot of people do leads. Um, we, we have embraced Green Globes. We think it's a little more aggressive, more effective use of how to uh, measure sustainability for data centers. And then we're also the only North American data center company that's done sustainability link financing. Um, so we were the first, I know others are seeking to follow that, but with each of our financings, we've done that as well. So our performance is tied to our sustainability goals. I mentioned the carbon tracking as well. As it relates to noise, um, we heard those concerns, pun intended, uh, during the Planning and Zoning Commission uh, hearing. Data centers uh, can be noisy um, if they don't take proper mitigation efforts. We do take those proper mitigation efforts. So we went out, we actually commissioned a noise study. Uh, we didn't have to do that, but we commissioned one following the Planning and Zoning. Um, hearing, uh, and this shows what the ambient noises are and what our operating noises are. Right now, the current ambient noise from the substation is at 48 decibels. Uh, we're going to be at 42 at our peak operating level. So that means once we're operating at full load, it's not just getting there. Uh, so we're going to be below or consistent with the current ambient uh, ratings that are out there. Um, it's about the equivalent of a refrigerator, so I'll use that as well. Maybe I won't. Um, other things to note, we're right along the railroad tracks. Uh, we've heard two trains go through this evening alone. Um, those are at about 64 decibels or so. Um, so again, we're below those decibel ratings too. Um, what Aligned has done to proactively mitigate sound issues, uh, we have wrapped our compressors with sound dampening uh, padding. We house our equipment in sound enclosures. We use uh, magnetic compressors um, in our chillers so they don't make a whole lot of noise. So we try to be a very good neighbor, address those noise concerns uh, from the outset. For the current plan, we're about 450 feet away from the nearest house, so there's a decent distance there. We've heard concerns about public health and things. We have not found any peer-reviewed public uh, studies on noise and health concerns or mental health concerns or physical health concerns, um, except when they're at very high levels and sustain noise. We're an owner-operator, we're in these facilities. We don't want it to be noisy either. We don't want our employees to be, uh, to be suffering a workplace issue. 
Um, moving on to the benefits of data center development. Um, many of those benefits are really focused on the economic growth. Uh, we've got a separate slide on that. The job opportunities, these are very well-paying, skilled jobs that are being brought to your community. Usually the, the wrap on data centers is they don't employ a whole lot of people. Our full-time staff is not hundreds of people. Um, it's just to maintain the facility. But the number of ancillary jobs that are created from a data center, it's a, it's a ripple effect. So it'll be the low voltage cabling, it'll be the uh, equipment racking and stacking the equipment that goes in there. So the young people uh, can, in your community can have a, a path to a really lucrative career with this skill and the data center industry is growing dramatically. Um, community services, by having a data center in your community, the network that will go to that data center, the data center is a building and it's hooked up to computers. They have to be connected to the outside world or else it's just an island. So the network that comes into a community for a data center will benefit the entire community. You'll be more networked. That's gonna help with uh, additional public infrastructure and monitoring, improve connectivity. We mentioned the educational training, and then there's also a number of uh, green initiatives as well. As far as the job opportunities that are created um, and the economic benefits that are created, we just did an analysis on our uh, assumed building, should this be approved and move forward. And we think over the first few years as the building's being constructed, um, there'll be about $20 million worth of taxes paid. That's for the city, county, hospital district, and the schools. That's over the first, call it three and a half years or so of this project once we get it built. Um, thereafter, it'll be a consistent revenue stream for the real estate taxes. There's also business personal property tax. So the equipment that goes in there, we just think of us as landlords. We provide sophisticated real estate. Our tenants are the very well-known cloud providers. They bring their equipment in. That equipment is business personal property. That has to be refreshed. Typically, it's about every three to five years. And oftentimes, it's a multiple of our very significant capital investment of hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, the projected sales tax is about $10 million. That's just based on what we're gonna be purchasing in Mansfield to build this project and build it out over the, the subsequent phases. Uh, there likely will be additional sales taxes as well. And the number of jobs, 400 jobs is probably at peak construction with our full staff there. Um, our general contractor thinks about 320 or so uh, construction jobs at peak construction. That will obviously go down. But those construction workers while they're here are gonna be frequenting your stores frequenting your businesses, the small business operator, the barber. Um, and then those construction workers, once they have a base here in Mansfield, those trades could probably port over to some of the other very ambitious projects that you've got uh, in your entertain, entertainment district. Our full-time staff, as you can see, is about 36 uh, to 50 as well. Um, so with that, these estimated economic benefits are pretty significant in our opinion, and hopefully uh, you agree. The Planning and Zoning Commission 
recommended approval of this rezoning. City staff recommends approval of this rezoning. And we certainly respectfully request the rezoning as well. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. All right, Council. Just give us an opportunity now to uh, ask questions in this regard. I know that um, Ms. Bounds has uh, quite a few to ask. So what we'll do, Mr. Newsom, is your hand up, sir? Okay. All right. So let's we'll yield to Ms. Bounds so that she can ask a series of questions, and then we'll hear from the rest of our council members. So I have a couple of questions for Jason first. Sure, ma'am. About the property area. Yes, ma'am. I received a lot of concerns um, for some of the neighborhoods around there, and some of them were um, concerning, of course, noise, and we've talked a little bit about that. And some were for EMT, uh, EMFs, which is electromagnetic fields. Uh, So I do have a couple of questions about that. what are some examples of some common devices or equipment that emit low-frequency EMFs in our homes and in that area? Uh, some examples of that council member balance would be microwave ovens, radio and TV, waves, computers, uh, house energy smart meters, Wi-Fi networks, cell phones, Bluetooth devices, MRIs, those sorts of things. Um, There is an Encore electrical substation in that area. When was it zoned? The rezoning was approved for the substation in October of 2007. And when was it built? It was built in 2009. And it's about, oh, about anywhere from about 1,200 to 1,400 feet from the neighborhood? Correct. Um, there's also an active railroad track there that runs the span of the neighborhood, and it's anywhere from uh, about 38 feet to about 125 feet from the neighborhood property line. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. Thereabouts. All right. There are also two gas well pad sites less than a half a mile away. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. How many years has that neighborhood been in that area? Well over 20 years. So 20 years. Um, Does that electrical substation emit low-frequency electromagnetic fields? We tried to get a hold of Encore to get that information, but our best guess is that it probably does. And it is a high-voltage line, though, correct? Yes, ma'am. All right. That's all that I have for Jason, and I have one question for um, the applicant. Go ahead, ma'am. So when we're talking about um, being uh, sustainable and uh, there's concerns over the amount of electricity that's used, but there's also concerns about the water uh, that's used, can you tell me a little bit more about your cooling Absolutely. Tried to go back. Is there? How do I do that? The back button that I hit before? I just killed it again. Um, My apologies. Um, We use dramatically less water than traditional data center providers. In fact, would this be one of our waterless solutions as well? Yes. So this will be a waterless solution. Um, What? 
what you'll have is um, just convenience water for like building systems, bathrooms, things like that, as opposed to using water to cool. Uh, so it's going to be orders of magnitude less water than a traditional data center. I bet you the, it's gonna be less than 8,000 gallons of water per day, yes. Less than 8,000 gallons per water today. As opposed to some data centers you'll read about require hundreds of thousands of gallons of water. They also use uh, fan cooling systems yes. too, which is so archaic. Yep. Um, the data center in itself, in itself doesn't emit electromagnetic fields, but, and that's because it is my understanding that it is damaging to your equipment that you have within the data center. Uh, so you will strive to protect that equipment by trying to buffer from that. How would you protect your equipment from that? Um, I, with some of our other locations, I know that we've done studies that are close to transmission lines. I was trying to bring up the, it might be one more back. There we go. Um, I think it's just the building structure itself that protects the equipment as opposed to any additional uh, foil coating or anything. I can ask some of my colleagues. So Mr. Cardell Andrews. Good afternoon, Mayor, Council, Cardell Andrews, 2800 West Summit, Plano Avenue. <clears throat> Typically, our hyperscalers that we usually have, those larger corporations that come into our buildings, they actually don't want electromagnetic, so we usually strive to stay away from that. It's usually protected by the building itself. That's one of the things. We usually do studies on most of our buildings because we can't go in areas that are within a certain district of that electromagnetic field. So this is one of the sites that we looked into. I think from our planning, because this is a 69 kV, um, it doesn't admit as much. So the building location that we have is placed based on that distance away from the transmission lines. Okay, that's all that I have for now. All right, <clears throat> to my left, Ms. Short. Uh, yes, we, we all received several emails from, <clears throat> excuse me, neighbors in Mansfield National, and I lived in that neighborhood for almost 20 years with my family. So I understand the concern, but I, I do feel like you've addressed almost every single one of those. Uh, the only one I can, that I had written down that I, I'm not sure about is uh, you talked about the reliable power. So do you guys use generators? We will use generators um, should the transmission lines that serve that substation go down. Um, the likelihood, and I should probably again defer, that's dual feed, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so that's part of what makes this pretty attractive, that there's two transmission lines right next to the data center, and then it'll probably be underground to feed our data center. So the likelihood of losing that, it, it's gonna hurt the whole area um, if those transmission lines go down. We, the amount of generator use is pretty nominal. Obviously, you've gotta exercise them for operational maintenance, um, do that periodically. Um, but it would be a big event should those transmission lines go down. But then, yes, our generators will work at that point. So the generators aren't causing any more sound than what you would normally get from the building? O only when they're being used. Um, but again, they're 450 feet away. Um, Councilwoman Bounds 
that was an excellent point. I think drilling sites can be within 100 feet of homes. Uh, we're certainly further away than that. You've got the railroad tracks also between us and the nearest residents as well. Right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. <clears throat> Mr. Brosh? And, and I had a follow-up with uh, Ms. Short. Where do you locate the generators? Where would you plan on locating them? <coughs> Mr. Cardell Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> I think I could draw on here, but our building... It didn't stop working. Does it stop working? I killed that too. The, the building sits in the center of the site, and the right. generators sit, sit on the rear side of the site. Oh, there we go. So this is your building here, and the generators sit in this back area. So buffer between the railroad and the, the building. So that's out where you, you have your uh, buffered... Uh, Is that not where your drive is, or is that on the south side? Yeah, the, the driveway entrance into the site is located in this area. Right, right. Okay, 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 I see that. Uh, so you do have that. Have any idea uh, what kind of KVI, uh, KVA uh, sized generators that you would have as a backup? Yeah, so the generators that we use are, are three megawatt generators. Okay. And those are whole cat generators. Right, right, okay. Um, okay, I think that's it. I, there's been a lot of misinformation sent over uh, through our, our uh, citizens, and uh, it, it just, I'd like to, uh, I, I really appreciate what you've said tonight. Uh, which is which makes total sense to me uh, the as far as the volume of traffic uh, appears to be lighter than anything that would be uh, that would have a building that size. Uh, the sound that you have shown uh, the DBA uh, levels uh, certainly are livable. I, I don't see a comparison of that to the the trains that go by uh, roughly once an hour. Uh, so I think you've answered some questions. Maybe, uh, well, for me, for sure, you have uh, relieved any concerns I have that this would be a, a bad thing for our, our city. I just don't see that. Thank you. All right, thank you. All right, Mr. Newsom. Yeah, just one quick question. I know we're talking about um, I'll follow the theme as far as the generators go. You're talking about how many generators are there in totality? So the generators are a function of the amount of capacity that we build it to. So at maximum capacity. Yeah. So you're looking at 43 total. 43 total. So I'm assuming your tenants require you to run tests, backup tests at a periodic time. How how often does that occur, and when it does occur, or is it everything simultaneously or are y'all doing I mean if there's 43 obviously you can even test one 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 day per month you know you'd run out of days so what what is that anticipated testing um, frequency and the and at maximum operating capacity what is the number of generators and what is that expected duration and uh, decibel level at that point yeah so the <clears throat> the generators are tip typically tested quarterly there is a requirement through the state 
that requires a certain number of tests that we can exceed for NOx. So we, we stay under that threshold. We obviously get that permit. Um, it, when you go into a data center, it's operated in a six megawatt tranche. That's, that's the way we break these data centers out. And that six megawatt tranche has roughly 12 generators. Typically, you see about three of the generators tested at a time. That's really to get our maintenance. Okay, and how, how often is that occurring? That's a quarterly maintenance. So you'll have, okay, so if you're running, you know, th so it's three generators per nine, nine megawatt tranche, correct? Six, six megawatt tranche. Yep. So you're testing three generators simultaneously every quarter or you know, like one one day, another another day? It could, it could be one, and it, the test periods are only about 15 minutes. So you're oh. not looking at a full day to get that six done. You're probably talking about roughly five hours. Okay. If you, just based on our operations team and the, the frequency that they do it and kind of the backbone of it. Okay, do you know what the decibel level is when they're being tested? What was that, I'm do sorry? Do you know what the decibel level is when tested we, in we comparison to the chart you showed we us? We don't have that information handy, but we probably can easily find that out. Okay, just, I mean, I'm assuming this will be smooth through to the second reading, so just, uh, if you could have that available next time, appreciate we, it. Yeah, I think we can, and, and I, I believe we were looking at this and just talking to our noise study professional who was doing this for us, it was still below the threshold of the, of the railroad, so still standing below that. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I know, can you move this All right. I can, yeah. Ms. Bounds has a follow-up question. Um, yeah. One last question that I have, and it's a follow-up to all the discussions with power and the generators. Um, by standard, don't you have to subscribe to a tier system that checks all of that? Isn't that a mandate that there's a certain tier level of tiers for uh, running your data center based on um, your ability to remain, uh, keep power so that the servers don't go down and that you don't have issues with that? Are you referring to the Uptime Institute tier system? Yes. Okay, yes. But, um, generally speaking, it's um, a level of redundancy and reliability, yes. So tier three versus tier four is kind of the mission critical data center parameter. Uh, we are tier three, uh, call it tier three plus. But yes, our, our customers do demand that we've got redundant systems in place should those transmission lines fail, the generators would pick up, yes. Mr. Lewis, did I see your hand, sir? All right, all right, we're good? All right, if we are, then we will, oh, thank you all very much. We thank will open much. the uh, public hearing at uh, 8.16 p.m. And we do have cards. I will call you at this time. Ms. Catherine Hogan, uh, if you will come and state your name and address, and you will have five minutes. Good evening. My name is Catherine Hogan. I live at 701 T-Box Court, um, one of the houses that you could see that would be pretty close to this data center. Um, so going along with the walkability, uh, the data center would not employ many people. So why would there be such a need to make it 
walkable. Um, the other thing is the 2040 plans um, that, uh, sorry, okay. So um, the 2040 plan for Mansfield wants to attract more people to visit and live in the entertainment district proposed for this area. A data center would actually detract from that plan. On page 34 in the 2040 Mansfield Future Plan, data centers are listed under land that should be used for commercial and light industrial, not under the mixed use regional. The 2040 Mansfield Plan designates the land on Britain Road as part of the entertainment district, which includes some mixed use regional, but not commercial and light industrial. Page 75 of the, of the Mansfield 2040 Plan talks about investing in historic Britain, which this would be on Britain Road. Um, I'm not sure how a data center <clears throat> would connect that. I don't know. Um, so on page 75, it talks about celebrating the cultural and historic asset. Um, a data center would go against that. Um, okay, so they're showing you the front, but what we would be looking at is the back. The back would be a huge concrete structure. There would be those generators on the back, which would actually cause uh, noise, because if the power goes out, they will come on and they will run. Um, and our area loses power uh, with storms. You know, we get pretty bad storms in the spring. Sorry. Um, okay. Uh, going along with generators. Um, uh, okay. Sorry. I was going to read something, but I changed it. Um, so the Align Data Center actually had to pull out of a project because they wanted to build 168 backup diesel generators at a location in Frederick County in Maryland. The maximum capacity <clears throat> Maryland allows for a generation station is 70 megawatts of power, which is the maximum capacity. Maryland allows for a generating station, okay, 70. Uh, 70 megawatts of power, which is equivalent to 23 megawatt diesel generators. What is the megawatt of these generators that will go on the back? Um, so they had to pull out of that because of that. Um, there's also environmental issues with diesel generators um, running. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Um, what about security? Um, would there be any robberies that would take place? There are not going to be a lot of jobs here. Um, he had said at the last meeting there would be 50 jobs on 26 acres. How is that really benefiting the citizens and the residents of Mansfield? Uh, we would love more jobs, more job creation. Um, and that would bring in more people um, from elsewhere as well, especially in the entertainment district where you want people coming in. You want them to want to stay, you want them to use the restaurants and the other entertainment stuff, and you want it to be family friendly. Is the data center going to be family friendly? On the 2040 plan, that is on there to have that for that. Um, and again, this is going to be huge. Um, what about, as my nine-year-old asked me, mom, what about the animals? What about nature? 26 acres. That's a lot of nature that is going to be disrupted. Um, and we see it, you know, we see coyotes and it's okay because that's part of it. Um, the birds, sorry, let me know when I need to stop. Um, uh, the data, can we have numbers? Last meeting they said they would use 3,500 gallons of water. Today they said under 8,000. Their website says zero. Um, so what is it? it can we have the, 
an actual sheet with the data with the numbers. Facebook, with theirs, they have numbers on what they use for energy and water and whatnot. Electricity as well. Um, how will that affect our grid? I, we had to go to someone else's house in January when the power went out. I had a three-month-old. Um, will this cause more things like that to happen when it's cold or when there's storms? Um, yeah. Okay. Um, and it's, there, it's the decibels that are concerning, but also the sound frequency. Um, that is concerning. You talk about trains, the trains are not running 24-7. This low frequency noise, or this noise we would hear, it would be 24-7. My house is probably within 500 feet of this. I have kids. Okay, that's it. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you, Ms. Hogan. You did a good job. <clears throat> All right. Mr. John, and I'll let you pronounce that last name for me. Powell, all right. <clears throat> yes, yeah, so John Powell, 701 T-Box Court, um, also here uh, in opposition to the data center. Like many of you, I initially thought, what could be so bad about a data center? We use data all the time, right? But then I started doing research, and when I did the research, it couldn't have been more clear of why it's not appropriate for a residential neighborhood. You look at news stories, so I started looking at the news stories. Everyone says, what could be so bad, let it come into the neighborhood, and then it became a perpetual nuisance after that. I started looking at academic publications, studies assessing the impact of data centers, the associated impacts that surround data centers beyond just the data center itself, but the noise, the emissions, all of those pieces that are there. And that really had a wow moment when I was looking at those publications. But I followed that up and I consulted actually with a PhD expert that looks at the anthropologic impact. That's the impact to us as people around data centers. And what he shared was all of the negative impacts that surrounds data centers. Much of what we're thinking today, and we said that's not an impact anymore, it is. The people that were in these studies, the people that he went to, all around the world, all around the country looking at data centers, it creates a significant impact, specifically in residential areas. And I was actually a little bit upset with your, your comment there regarding that this answered all the questions and that the citizens had misinformation. So I want to share some of the facts. Number one, it's not consistent with the 2040 plan, right? The 2040 plan, it looks at this as mixed-use regional, bordering parks, sub suburban residential. A data center is light industrial. It's not with the vision of what 2040 is. This is a rezoning request. We only have one chance to take this small amount of land that we still have left and do the right things with it. A data center is not appropriate for that. Uh, so some other considerations. One, be skeptical of the economic impact. When we look at that, data centers, they're associated with low job opportunities. Yes, that's great for traffic. It's not good for jobs. It's not good for the economic impact. Typically, they're run by very few individuals, uh, subcontracted security and cleaning personnel and not a mechanism for bringing jobs. Low water usage. So spoke to zero um, with a closed system. Well, think about the other pieces. That's a, a sales claim, that's, a, that's the jargon that comes with there. Let's have an independent study of all of the water uses that's used. They're gonna need to humidify. We have dry Texas air, right? There's gonna need to be uh, humidity in there. Let's look at that. Energy usage, we all experience the fragility of the grid. A Couple of years ago, we had days without power. Have we had an independent study working with Encore to look at what is the impact of this significant usage of electricity and how that fits in 
with the rest of our 2040 plans and all of the other things that we're trying to bring to the area, the entertainment district, do those transmission lines support that and not bring additional fragility to our grid? The generators, yes, they cause noise. Um, we know that they're not on all the time. I think it was 68,000 kilowatts of power generation. That's thousands of houses. That would be humming. But when you look at the noise, it's really not the generators that's there. It's all of the other cooling systems, the fans, that constant whir and hum that these uh, facilities create. And it's 24-7. It's not transient like a train that goes by or a car or a motorcycle. It's perpetually going on. And if we look at the audible sound, that's where they want us to focus. We need to focus not just on the audible, but on the frequency of the sound. These facilities produce low frequency sounds. Not EMF, I'm ta not talking that, I'm talking low frequency hertz in terms of the sound. These are the sounds that penetrate through things. They carry long distances and they've been associated with significant health impacts. So when they're co-located near homes, that is a significant concern that we need to address. And those health issues, cardiovascular health, hypertension, mental health, poor sleep, they're all well documented. I read over 50 publications looking from audiology to clinical pieces to sound. They all speak to that low frequency and the damaging effects it has. And these are the ones that are not gonna be measured in decibels that you can hear. These are ones that are measured in the frequency that is most likely going to be below those decibel thresholds that we have as a community, but significantly more impactful. And it's also the most difficult to abate because those frequencies of sounds are the ones that penetrate. Those are the ones that carry far and don't just stop in a close proximity of that building of that facility. Thank you, so, Mr. Powell. Yeah. Thank you very much. But thank, thank you for we, coming today. All right, <clears throat> Ms. Tierney Davis. Hello, do I tell you my address? Is that what I do? Yes, Okay, my name is Tierney Davis. I live at 607 Hogan Alley Drive. I am a resident in Mansfield National next to where the proposed data center is to be built. My concern with the data center is the noise pollution it will create. Data centers are noisy. The reason they are noisy is the equipment inside makes a lot of noise when it operates. The equipment in part IT systems like servers, while servers on their own are not typically very loud, hundreds of servers operating can be. At the same time, the equipment that data centers depend on, like HVAC systems or generators that serve as backup power, and keep in mind their generators are used by diesel fuel and diesel exhaust does create toxic air. Um, these, these add to the noise, and this can be especially loud on the outside of the data center, contributing to noise pollution. Data centers, HVAC systems, produce a low hum, which the brain has difficulty filtering out. The psychological effects of industrial noise is well documented to include elevated stress hormones and hearing loss. The CDC warns, a noise not loud enough to cause damage can still cause stress, anxiety, and even heart disease when continuously exposed to it. This data center will produce that hum 24-7. Ramsey Healthcare states that the level of noise that starts to have an effect on sleep is 40 decibels. Our neighborhood, they put 42, 43 decibels. 
Moderate snoring is between 40 to 50 decibels. So imagine hearing somebody snoring 24-7. Unlike other industries, data centers are largely self-regulated. There is no federal agency to govern the setting and operation of new and existing facilities. And because data center noise is unregulated, facilities can unfortunately be built next to residential areas. People living near a data center in Arizona claim to experience health problems, stress, and difficulty sleeping. Tonal noise, also known as discrete frequency noise, is a flat noise that occurs in a single frequency. Tonal noises include blades, fans, or other moving parts that rotate or vibrate, and they're the most harmful noise within data centers. Inside data centers, there are high-velocity fans cooling down IT equipment and HVAC systems that generate noise and humming from power supplies. Constant exposure to these noises should be an area of concern. Braxton Boren, an assistant professor of audio technology at American University, took a look at research on data centers. Boren says that data center noise can be in the range of frequencies to which the ears are most sensitive and we can be affected by it. He goes on to say, low frequency noises have very long wavelengths, so they're not able to be absorbed by air molecules. You can build a wall and those wavelengths would by a process called diffraction would bend and go right over it. There's an elementary school around a half mile from this proposed data center location. With excessive noises around our school, students may experience the health effects that a stressful environment will produce because they will wake up to the noise, they will be at school in the noise, they will play at home in the noise, and they will sleep in the noise. Our brains will never get a break. Please do not allow this to be built so close to our homes and our school. While additional tax revenue is positive, quality of life is a concern that should not be ignored. And I'll finish with, you know, this is not a matter of not in my backyard. This is a matter of this shouldn't be in anybody's backyard. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Davis. All right, um, Louisa Meyer. I also wrote something out um, before listening to the presentation. Uh, but I'd like to state your to name you. and address. I'm oh, sorry. yes, I'm Excuse sorry. Louisa Meyer. I live at 705 T-Box Court. Uh, and according to the letter I received, that's 200 feet away from where the property will be, um, the rezoning would be happening. So with that in mind, this is what I wrote down. Um, so I was escaping kind of the busyness and of downtown Dallas with my family and have found a haven here in Mansfield. We love the quiet, we love the good neighborhoods, especially at, Nashville, at National. Uh, my husband and I felt it was very much God-ordained because not only did we find a home here in Mansfield, just around the corner in the Brighton historical side, my parents moved in and um, it would be a mess to see this massive construction. <laughs> right next to that, uh, but they found, you know, their little piece of heaven there in historical Britain, uh, right as the market was really, like, everything was off the market, so there was, like, we, we pretty much felt like God led us there, so uh, we love it here, and now, though, I just 
I live 200 feet away from where this massive data center is planned to be developed. Um, this isn't just about my home, it's really about our community and our environment and the peace we've come to share is, uh, in our neighborhood. Every morning, my two kids and I wake up and you know we see the trees and the wildlife. We really enjoy that part. Um, uh, bird watching is one of our favorite things and um, we enjoy it. it ex the experience brings a lot of joy and peace into our lives and now I fear is threatened by the proposal of this development. Um, in talking with my realtor, um, she's a renowned and top producing agent, uh, having an in industrial buildings right next to my home will impact negatively the resale value of my home, which is something I would, you know, I never thought to consider, especially because we love it there so much. Um, but now I have to think about. Uh, furthermore, data centers are known for their higher energy and we've heard about it all night, uh, which contributes significantly towards environmental degradation. And the US Department of Energy reported that just in 2014, uh, data centers consumed 70 billion kilowatt hours. And I don't even know what that means uh, in the sense of like, they said it was about 2% of all energy, you know, of the state of the United States. And that's a, that's a lot of energy to put that into consideration. Um, and not to mention the concern water usage. Last time I heard it was, you know, between three or 5,000 gallons and today is $8,000, 8,000 gallons, but then it might be not be any. Um, so who knows on that? Uh, and I understand progress is inedible and I'm here for technological advances, uh, advancements, but um, at what cost? Is it health risk, environmental harm, you know, the peaceful home that we have. <laughs> um, and if this area is behind my home, just 200 feet away, would that also mean more industrial buildings will rise up in that area? Or is it just that one? Is it multiple? Um, when will it end? Who will dictate that part? Um, and if it's so important to have a data center, I understand you know the tax money coming in, uh, it's really good and beneficial for our community. Uh, why can't it be built anywhere else? Is there another piece of land they can find where it's not right next to residential homes? Is that a possibility? Uh, something to consider? Um, we, we did get 100, over 100 signatures from our neighbors as well, opposing this uh, rezoning and we urge you um, and consider not only the economic growth, but also prioritize preserving the residential area's serenity and safety when making zoning decisions. Um, and thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. All right, thank you, ma'am. <clears throat> All right, um, council. We also have uh, Luisa uh, Davila, who is a non-speaker in opposition. We have Ashley Hall, who is a non-speaker in support. We have uh, Ashley Brathwaite, who is uh, in support. We have Brittany Flake, bless you, who is opposed. We have Julia Peterson, who is, who is also opposed. We have uh, Emily uh, Safala, Safalu who is opposed, Brandon Meyer, opposed, Bo Davis, also who is opposed. Are these all that we received? Okay, thank you. Let the record please reflect that as well. So thank you very much. So at this time, I will uh, 
I'll continue the public hearing at 8.36 p.m. and I will call for a motion. Mayor. Yes, sir. Um, could I ask before there's a motion, uh, I, I had two questions that were brought up in public comments that I'd like to ask. Sure, you, yes. Staff, if that's okay. You sure can. Um, Mr. Alexander, in SOMA, um, is four-sided architecture a requirement? Yes, sir. Okay, so the, the backs that do face the railroad tracks will have similar aesthetics and views as the front images that we saw this evening? Correct. Okay. Um, the second was in the applicant's presentation. I believe you had a decibel reading um, that showed the existing substa substation that's there and had a decibel level of, a, was it 43, 44? 48 is the existing substation that's, um, I think Ms. Bounds said 1,400 feet from the existing residence, and you said your sound study says you're going to be around 43 to 46 decibels? 42. And so the ex existing substation also runs 24-7 unless the transmission lines go down, is that correct? Okay. Um, I, w I would ask, uh, to Councilman Newsom's point, that you can provide a sound study based on the generators at their testing times and what, what that may look like. You may approach the mic. We will definitely uh, provide that, yes. Uh, do I have an opportunity to address any of the other items or only when we, asked? I, I'll give an opportunity to respond, go ahead. Thank we you. Um, as far as being skeptical of the economic impact, to put this in perspective, Loudoun County, Virginia, which is kind of viewed as the data center capital of the world, generates over $500 million a year from data center revenue. So that's real, tangible. It's not building a stadium and things like that. Th these are uh, real numbers. Um, if you have any questions about the Maryland situation, I'll gladly speak to you about that. That deals with a public service commission and the grant of a certificate of public convenience and necessity. Totally different issue than uh, what we're dealing with here. Um, so I can speak to that chapter and verse. You will never hear the servers that are inside our building. Those thousands of servers are not generating sound that are gonna go outside the walls. Remember, we have our offices in data centers. So this is something that we've gotta live with all the time. Um, we're not taking power from other people. This is new power that's gonna be generated. We work with the utilities countrywide. They've gotta do load impact studies. And many times, we're paying for improvements to the infrastructure. And the communities that we go into benefit from that. So if there's a line that is old and decrepit that needs to be reinforced, we actually fund the improvements that have to be made to deliver the, the power to our data centers. Um, you mentioned the hum from the substation. Um, I think those, why make it walkable? Frankly, because you got a pretty darn good city staff. Our first building was tilted the other way, didn't have the walkability, that's why it was added. We believe it's consistent with the 2040 vision plan. City staff does as well. This can be an anchor for that area. And to talk about what data centers are to a community, I used to say data centers powered e-commerce and fun stuff like that. In the decade, 15 years now that I've been in the data center industry, data centers now power humanity. There is not a single thing that you do that typically 
does not hit a data center somewhere or somehow. It truly is required for innovation for your link special district to bring the tech jobs in. We talk about creating jobs. This will be a quiet neighbor. These are technical, well-paying jobs. You don't want 1,000 cars on the road. You don't want 1,500 kids in your school district. You don't want police and fire demands for whatever is developed here. So we think it's a, it's a great win-win. We respectfully request the rezoning that the city staff has, uh, has asked for. Thank you. All right. I'm going to ask if you stay at the mic for me for a second. Sure. All right. Uh, go ahead, Ms. Short. Well, I, I actually don't don't have a question, but I, I wanted to speak to the residents. Um, as as I mentioned earlier, my I raised my kids in Mansfield National, and we we still love our neighbors that live in Mansfield National. So the first email that I received with a concern about the data center, I reached out to to Mr. Alexander because you know we're citizens, we have families, we own houses, all of that. And, and we are concerned uh, in making sure that our citizens are safe and that we are doing everything that we can do to make Mansfield the best city that it could possibly be. And part of that is diversifying our tax base and it's something we've been working on for several years now. And we have a whole plan for that area over there and, and this actually does work with that. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of walkability coming to the west of, of this data center. So. I could see that working for people, future residents in that area that want to go for a walk and, and going by there and it working with everything else. So I, I remember when we were going to have big league dreams, when they first, and I wasn't on city council back then, I lived over in Mansfield National, and we started hearing all these horror stories about, oh, if you have big league dreams over here and they allow alcohol at the games and there's going to be fights and people are going to leave the games and they're going to be drunk and we're going to have all these wrecks on the road and and I signed a petition against Big League Dreams so I understand when something new is coming how the buzz starts to happen and then you, and you you hear every terrible story that ever happened with any project like that so I appreciate that this one's not like every other data center you know that we wouldn't just accept that, that we do, did require some, some beefing up of the project and making it look better and making it work for our community. So I just want citizens to know that it's not decisions that are flippantly made that we have been reaching out. We've been doing research. You know, I found out that 60 decibels only travels three and a half feet. So, you know, in thinking about how the noise will be and all of that. So I just want you guys to know that we consider all of that. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, Mr. Tenora and then uh, Mr. Bross. Yeah, I'd like uh, this question for Jason Moore. Uh, Jason, can you, can you speak on the economic uh, development impact for our community? Uh, he, the, the gentleman mentioned $500 million a year. Uh, can you explain to our citizens where that $500 million would come from? Well, I, I don't know specifically their, their expected taxable value for this particular project, but in other cities in the community, uh, in, the, in the Metroplex, um, the ad valorem tax, so real property tax, business personal property tax is very significant. So from an economic standpoint, diversifying the tax base, 
that adds significant value. This is in a TERS number four district. So not only does the city benefit from city tax revenue, but also county tax revenue that comes into the TERS from this. Sales tax, um, as equipment is purchased and it's sourced to Mansfield, that's a very significant sales tax that goes to EDC, goes to the parks fund, goes to the general fund, uh, which pays for CIP projects, major infrastructure, um, bringing and recruiting additional businesses to the community. So there's significant sales tax dollars on retail uh, electric purchases as well as the materials purchased. So just from a, an economics, um, we see the benefits there and in, into in the TERS. From just an economic development standpoint, when we're recruiting companies to the Admiral Legacy and the link, um, as the gentleman mentioned, it is very important that we have access to a facility like this where data storage is, is kind of king right now. And so when we're talking to the Microsofts and those corporate office tenants, and hopefully with Harvest Point, we have future corporate offices along 360 as well, that these are critical um, in their minds um, in having the capacity within you know, a certain radius. And so this significantly helps Mansfield attract those type of businesses. Thank you. Thank All you. Right. Mr. Brosh? Uh, yes, for the applicant. <clears throat> Mayor told you to stay up there. No, that's fine. <laughs> hey, uh, if I could just clarify, I said there was another county that had $500 million of taxes. Our estimate is 20 to 30 million over the first few years for your community. My apologies for any misunderstanding. Okay. Commissioner. So since I haven't seen a, a, a diagram of an architectural uh, drawing, can you tell, do you by chance know how thick your walls, your exterior walls would be? How thick the walls will be? The, Mr. the Carter, walls. Mr. Cameron Lasseter. Right. State your name and address, please. Uh, Cameron Lasser, 2800 Summit Ave. Uh, the uh, exterior walls will be roughly one foot thick um, right one now. Foot? I'm wow. sorry? Okay. Okay. That's, that's, uh, that's with insulation. That's, that's quite, uh, that is thick. Uh, that surprises me. That's in a good way. That is a, that's a good solid one. So while you're here, probably. Do you, by chance, know if you have screening around the emergency generators? Do you have screening planned? Sprinklers would be in. Screening. screening. Oh, screening. screening. Yes, we do also have screening. Is it masonry? Around the or generators, uh, no, it would not be a masonry wall. Uh, right now, they're chain link fence. But we also have, um, in, the, in the north part of the yard, we have, um, obviously, the natural topography of the site that leads up in elevation uh, as it gets closer to the railroad. So there's some natural screening that occurs. Okay. And I that, would want that to. does uh, add, actually add a lot to the dissipation of the noise in that part sure of the Sure it would, but that, uh, I, I am a little bit uh, off on that. I think Mr. Alexander's got a comment. Yes, sir. Uh, Council Member Brosh, if I may, the provisions under SOMA, they do require masonry or vegetative screening. So we'll certainly work with the operator of the data center on the screening elements to make sure they're consistent, not only with the provisions under SOMA, but also with the surrounding area. Okay. All right. That's it. Ms. Bounds. All right. Mr. Lewis. Thank you, Mayor. I did just want to take a second to thank the residents for coming out and speaking. Um, 
and actually doing research and caring about your community and all of you spoke super eloquently. I know sometimes it's very nerve wracking to have us sitting up here and just staring at you, but it, it is greatly appreciated um, to have people come and speak. Um, I also want to make sure that uh, you know that your comments don't fall on deaf ears or like minds aren't necessarily already made up or I, I heard, sir, you asked that we consider this holistically um, and, and that is ultimately what the seven of us are elected to try to figure out and go through processes and, and, and really think through. Um, this land in this area first came kind of into my, my thought process back in 2018 where the, when these chambers were packed, packed with people um, objecting to a warehouse distribution center um, that was going to deliver over a thousand jobs to this area. Um, and their complaint was traffic <laughs> and the thousands of people that are going to be coming in here. Um, and all of our concerns were, what do we do with all of these trucks that are coming in and out as an industrial area? And is that the, really the vision that we want for our community? And it wasn't, we unanimously denied it at the time and have since put together, you guys have referenced our, our land use plan. These are things that we've been thinking about and how, does, how do these pieces work? How do we fund a lot of the pieces in the entertainment district? Um, you all should know that in the entertainment district and within what has been referred to as Harvest Point, you will have thousands of new neighbors in, in the future. Um, a lot of that zoning has already taken place. You will have a sports stadium very near to Big League Dreams. Um, we've approved High Five as, a, as one of our first family entertainment venues there. Um, all of these pieces kind of work together cohesively. Um, and when, when I heard data center, I was same as you guys, what, what's the big deal? Went and researched. What I found is when you Google something, you get a lot of confirmation bias too. <laughs> There's, like if, I, if I Google something right now, is it safe to live next to a data center? I get a thousand news articles uh, from different news agencies that have done, you know, their, their nightly story to, to go speak to neighbors that are concerned about. But I, I say all that to say, we've also considered the whole thing and our job as, as seven elected officials is to figure out what is best for our community as a whole and how do we mitigate, if there are issues, how do we mitigate against those issues to still benefit the, the overall community? Um, the, the gentleman just mentioned chain link fence and I know Mr. Alexander's ears perked up because that's not in compliance with SOMA. And I, I've heard the, the mention of the, you're going to be looking at the backs of these buildings. That's not in compliance with the zoning case that's, that's before us. So we, we hear you and we're trying to address the concerns as, as they come. Um, so I just don't, I don't want you to think that coming down here is not worth your time or, or that you're not. I greatly appreciate you coming and that your comments don't fall on deaf ears. But we also have been looking at this land with intent for at least six years since since that industrial case came before us, um, trying to figure out what, what is the best case because the one thing that the people that packed this room did is they didn't give us any recommendations as to what they would rather see. They just said, not this, not this in my backyard. Um, and again tonight, I just hear a lot of not this and we've been spending six years trying to figure out if not this, then what? Um, and so I think that's a lot of, and then if not this, then what? And when you start trying to piece out the then what and recognize all of the challenges that are there, it's next to a substation, it's, uh, it's up against railroad tracks, what, what is the reality that can, can be built on this land? So um, anyway, I just 
thank you for coming out. We want to address as many of the concerns and things that we are hearing as, as we go through the process. Um, and I just wanted you to know that it's it, when I make my vote, it's not based on just not hearing things, but it, there's been a lot of time and intentionality to make sure we have looked at the, the whole big picture. So thank you. All right. All right. <clears throat> thank you very much. Ditto. That is correct. That's correct. All right. I will call for a motion at this time. Move to approve. All right. And that was Mr. Lewis. Second. All right. That's Ms. Bounds. Questions? Statements? All right. Hearing none, please cast your vote. And the motion carries 7-0. Thank you very much. All right. We move now to item 23-5799, public hearing first reading on an ordinance approving a change of zoning from uh, MF2, multifamily residential district, C2, community business district, and PD, plan development district, to uh, S, South Mansfield form-based development district on approximately uh, 42.983 acres generally located on the northwest corner of FM 917, and Klein Tools Boulevard and East and South of S Second, South Second Avenue, set back partners. Applicant, their number is um, ZC 23-023, Mr. Alexander. Thank you, Mayor. City Council, again, this is a request for a change in zoning to SOMA. Here is a map showing the existing zoning for the subject property. And as you can see, it is a mix of MF, multifamily, and C2, community business district, and PD, plant development district. Here is an aerial of the property. Here is a photograph and another of the property. And the request is to go to SOMA, and I would certainly yield to the applicant to discuss more in depth the vision behind the project. But the idea is to start to realize the vision for the Western Promise starting off of Heritage Parkway and working its way up through the western side of the community. Here in this concept plan is showing commercial activity and part of this request with the commercial activity, and again, I will yield more so to the applicant to discuss more what to be to bring an entertainment user to this area that starts to generate interest, not only in the vast economic opportunity of the Western Promise, but starting to realize the vast opportunities for mixed-use development. Here are some sample images of what the inspiration will be aesthetically for this project and what you are seeing in these images. They are supported and inspired by the architectural and other urban design provisions within SOMA. Again, as the property is greater than two acres in area, a development agreement and special and assemblage plan are required. The development agreement is reviewed and approved by City Council, and a special land assemblage plan ensures that the property is appropriately master planned. 
The change in zoning request is appropriate and is consistent with development patterns in the area and the vision cast by the Mansfield 2040 plan. And pausing there for a moment, if I may, Mayor, City Council, state that the developer, the applicant, is wanting to leverage the standards from SOMA to go above and beyond the base requirements that would be in a PD plant development district to deliver a project that fulfills the vision for the western side, the western promise. The planning and zoning commission met on December 4th and they voted six to zero with one absence to recommend approval. Department of Planning and Development Services recommends approval and Mayor City Council, if I may, yield to the applicant for a presentation as well. Yes, you may. State your name and address, please, ma'am. Carly Sims with MR Development, 100 North Mitchell Road, Mansfield, Texas, 76063. Good evening, Mayor, Council, evening. and Mr. Smolinski. Thank you so much, Mr. Alexander, for your presentation. It is an honor to present a vision that holds great promise for the heart of Mansfield, our M3 Ranch commercial project. The property currently encompasses 23 and a half acres of MF2 multifamily zoning, about nine and a half acres of C2 commercial zoning, and 10 acres to our existing M3 Ranch PD. Our proposal seeks to transform this area located south of Broad and along Heritage Parkway into a vibrant, walkable hub that blends commercial and residential spaces seamlessly. We are requesting SOMA zoning to provide us with the flexibility necessary to develop a mixed-use, compact, sustainable, neighborhood-oriented commercial environment. Strategically, this is located near the Hollywood Film Super Studios. This project is set to complement and benefit from the influx of residents, students, and professionals the studios will attract. M3 Ranch aims to be the cornerstone of this new dynamic community, community, offering diverse services, retail, and entertainment options. I kind of want to place us in the heart of the project right now. We, this is our project currently, the commercial project that we are proposing. We have sold off four school sites. We're on Klein Tools Boulevard, Heritage Parkway and 917 here. We have Second Avenue, M3 Ranch Road, and everything in green, those are parks. We have about five of those. And we also have an amenity and club center. Anything in yellow and brown or a tan color, those are rooftops. With the M3 Ranch Master Plan Community planning for 1,600 rooftops at build-out, our development will be designed to become the commercial heart of this area. By providing essential services and creating a pedestrian-friendly environment. We're not just building spaces, our goal is to enhance lifestyles and foster community connections. M3 Ranch Commercial isn't just a project, it's a continuation of a family legacy, a commitment to our city's future. Over the years, our involvement in this city has been deep and transformative. We have dedicated ourselves to crafting developments that not only meet but exceed expectations. Each project we've embarked upon has been a resounding success, turning spaces into vibrant, inviting areas where people are proud to live and work. 
Extending this exact brand that you see on your screen across the street to M3 Ranch Commercial, we aim to reflect the spirit and character of M3 Ranch. This project is about continuing a story, a narrative that resonates with every family in Mansfield. Community engagement is at the heart of our project. We recently held a whiteboard session with a handful of Mansfield residents. This collaborative approach allowed us to understand the community's desires and integrate them into our planning. We intend to design a destination that invites people to not only visit, but stay and enjoy. I have a few inspiration photos. Um, our housing photos showcase a rustic yet modern ranch style theme, reflecting that M3 ranch branding, showcasing elements like natural wood, stone exteriors, and just your simple classic ranch designs. These could all be integrated in our housing developments across the street. We're gonna move on to civic spaces. We want to create a lively, pedestrian-friendly entertainment hub, featuring a mix of delicious, unique restaurants, trendy retail stores, and vibrant entertainment spaces. Well-lit sidewalks, colorful storefronts, just welcoming energetic atmosphere all around. Our track record speaks for itself and every development we've done in this city has been a testament to our commitment to excellence and an unwavering dedication we have to Mansfield. We don't just promise, we deliver. As we set our sights on the M3 Ranch commercial project, we carry this exact same legacy forward with the same commitment. It's not just about building another development, it's about enriching our community, making it a place where others can plant roots and call home. And to make this a reality, we will engage in a collaborative process with the city staff to work on our development agreement and land assemblage plan. Through this partnership, we aim to ensure that our vision for M3 Ranch aligns seamlessly with the broader aspirations of our city. This is just a glimpse of what we are proposing tonight. We are asking for your approval. Thank you for your time and consideration, and we are here for any questions or further discussion. Thank you, Ms. Sims. Mm -hmm. All right. Are there any questions on my right? Go ahead, Mr. Lewis. Thanks, sir. Uh, Ms. Sims, if that was... Um, not your first presentation to a council before. That was fantastic. We have people that come down here that have been doing this 15 years that didn't do as great of a job as you just did. So she worked. She worked for me when she was young. Oh, that's Casey. what it was. That's what it was. <laughs> and Kim was smart enough to steal her. <laughs> um, Thank you. So just so I'm clear, the current zoning on the site is a mixture of multifamily and commercial. It's just that the current zoning doesn't allow us to integrate in the way that you have proposed. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Um, if, if my math is correct, on your roughly 25 acres of multifamily, you're entitled today to build about 465-ish units at 18 units per acre. Does that sound correct? Yes. Okay. Roughly how many units are part of your proposed development for a multifamily? Well, we are still in preliminary planning phases, so we have not yet fully designed the project. We are here just to ask for SOMA zoning to allow us, you know, the flexibility when we start to design to move puzzle pieces around and to add anything that might be beneficial or helpful to the area. Perfect. Um, Mr. Alexander, the existing MF zoning, um, it, they're essentially asking us asking to commit to higher standards than they currently have entitlement for. Is that correct? That's correct. So higher architectural standards, more than the garden style apartments that we see across 360 currently. Is that correct? That is correct. 
um, and if they were to develop under their current zoning that they already have entitlement for, that's not, that's an auto-centric design. It, it would, none of the people that would live at the multifamily would have any commercial that they couldn't, could get to without getting in a car? That is absolutely correct. Okay. So I, I think it's, it's fantastic that you guys have come in and said, hey, we, we don't want to build what we're entitled for. We're willing to commit to higher things that provide an economic benefit and to the community. Um, but I just want to say, great job if that wasn't your first presentation because we, we don't get that very Thank often. You. So I'm excited about this project. Thank you. All right, on my left, Ms. Short. I'll just say that, you know, sometimes developers get a bad rap and, you know, we've had some up here and they deserve it. But um, you guys aren't like that. You are part of this community and you have a great track record here. So I'm, I'm excited to see what's to come as well. Thank you. All right. Anyone else on my left? Y'all good? All right. All right. Happy day. All right. I will open the uh, public hearing at 9.05 p.m. No cards. I will close, I will continue, I will continue the public hearing at 9.05 p.m. I will call for a motion. Motion to approve. Second. All right, thank you. Who's that, okay. All right, questions, hearing none. Please cast your votes. And the motion carries 7-0, and good presentation. All right. Mr. Alexander, if you don't mind, I'm going to um, take about a five-minute break sir. this time. And we'll come back at 9-11 um, by the clock on the wall. Thank you very much.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate the fellowship time that y'all have been able to have. We're now going to uh, reconvene at 9.12 p.m. And we will go to our public hearing, continuation, second, final hearing, item 23-5782. And it's a public hearing continuation, second and final reading on a change of zoning from pre-development district to planned development district for a single family attached townhome development on approximately 7.869 acres, generally Long South Mitchell Road and River Birch Drive, property addressed at 1000 South Mitchell Road. Ariel Carrillo is the applicant, zoning number 23-006. Mr. Alexander. Thank you, Mayor, City Council. This is, again, a request to rezone property from PD Plant Development District to another PD Plant Development District that allows for row houses. Here is the subject property that borders River Birch and South Mitchell. Here's an aerial view. Here is a photograph of the site and another. And again, it's currently within the Reserve PD Plant Development District. It's the South Point Expansion. The request is to rezone the property to allow for row homes on approximately 7.9 acres. Parking is accessed via rear alleys and homes to front mews, green, green spaces, and right-of-ways. There's a mix of stoop, porch, and door yard frontages. I do want to draw your attention to the site plan. There were some changes based off of the first public hearing and additional guidance and direction from City Council. This is the original plan in which there were row houses here that faced generally in a western direction. And there was also some concern too about the muse not being permanent. I'll get to the new site plan here shortly, but the muse is now permanent and it is not intended to be transformed into a thoroughfare in the future. That right of way is now removed from the concept plan. The row houses on the southwest corner, they have been reoriented to face internally and help frame the main civic space. And a commercial mixed-use overlay district has been introduced to enable and encourage neighborhood commercial activity. And the commercial mixed-use overlay district is here. You still have the civic space there to the immediate west, and that would allow for some pretty interesting opportunities to frame up that civic space with the row houses to the west and the opportunities provided by the mixed-use commercial overlay that did remove four row houses initially located there. The other thing that I mentioned as well is that the right-of-way for the muse has been removed, and again, that is a permanent muse that would allow for those row houses to front attractive civic space. The other thing is that the applicant has included the following photographs as part of their PD plan development district standards as it relates to architectural design. Here are those three examples. And those exact same examples are included as exhibits within the revised PD Plant Development District. 
Again, in terms of land use, the proposed development is appropriate. It does introduce a wide range of building frontages, civic spaces, and enhanced connections for pedestrians and motorists alike, and continues to address future development opportunities to the west. From an urban design perspective, the building heights and building frontages, they are consistent with the vision for the area. On December 11th, 2023, City Council voted 7-0 to zero to approve the requested changes only with conditions at the first hearing and reading. And at the second hearing and reading, City Council tabled the requested change to allow for those design considerations at the southwestern corner, addressing the concerns about the Western Muse and introducing commercial opportunities. The Planning and Zoning Commission met on November 6th. They voted 7-0 to to recommend approval with additional changes that have already been incorporated into the version of the PD Plan Development District that has been provided to you all this evening. And the Department of Planning and Development Services recommends approval as presented with the edits. I do believe the applicant is here, Mayor, City Council, and there isn't a presentation from the applicant, but we're otherwise available for questions if you have them, and I'll pause there. All right, sounds good. All right, on my right, Ms. Bounds. Mr. Alexander, um, in reading all of the summary for this uh, item, there was some information in there that staff still had some kind of concerns over the buildings, elevations, visually looking like multifamily rather than row homes. Has that been addressed and y'all are at ease with that now? Yes, ma'am. And with the images or the photographs being added as exhibits paired with the architectural standards in there, it will ensure that we get a product that is more in line with the community's vision and those images attached. All right, thank you. Yes, ma'am. All right, anyone else? Yes, sir, Mr. Brosh. Sorry about that. Uh, Jason, right, on, on that, I think it was the next to the last photo that you did show. It was the one of the white uh, stone. Uh, that just looks like to me that's plain and straight, uh, just as far as you can go. Not that one. The white. The white. That's one. Uh, yes. Yeah. And, and I'm surprised that uh, I, I don't see that as a, an architecturally. So I think part of it, Councilmember Brosh, if I may, was the angle that the photograph was taken. And I'm sure we could have gotten a, a better uh, photograph, but we were trying to get in there was showing the verticality with the windows and kind of showing the variations with the flat roofs and even the opportunities of activating the flat roof there. That was what we were trying to, to demonstrate. And we added the other images to show a little bit more of that architectural variety and character that you're describing, sir. Okay, the, the deviations that I saw in the other uh, photo that did relieve uh, my anxiety there. It's just, I, I'm in envisioning that entire 7.8 acres, uh, I'm, if I, and that's sort of what the, the uh, uh, just the sketch looks like is, you know, row home straight, straight. And I'm envisioning that, and, and that's not what I think we're going for. I get what you're saying. If you're trying to uh, accent the uh, flat uh, patios, things of that nature, then sure, that that's, looks uh, 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 totally uh, acceptable, I think. 
it's it's the uh, it's if you had that and then mix and then uh, had the one right in front of that you showed that you had up. Uh, well, going the other way, the sir. The other, yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, if and if you had those type of of uh, deviations going uh, throughout it, I I thought that's what we as a council were more. More yes, into. sir. And if I may, to your point, Councilmember Brosh, sure. state that within the PD uh, Plan Development District regulations proposed for this development, there is a requirement for architectural variety. So ensuring that we don't get row after row. Okay. And I should have harped on this earlier in the presentation, but it is color coded as well to ensure that you don't have the same look and feel. So there would be four different variations of row house types within this development. Okay. All right. <clears throat> All right, go ahead, Mr. Lewis. Thanks, sir. I, I laugh because I, I see, uh, as Councilman Brosh was saying that, Julie and I looked at each other and we were like, I love that. And then I hear other people, I hate that. And so it's it's just funny that in our in our zoning code, we've, you, we've, man you know, try to put everything into this box and then we wonder why everything looks exactly the same with brick <laughs> houses, like something's for everybody. And so everybody has a different feel with it. So I appreciate that it has the, the architectural variety. Um, I do want to talk about, uh, I see the, the connection to the south. Um, we don't know what's going into the land of the west. And so do you feel with uh, leaving the permanent muse and what's now an alley there. Do you think we can figure out some way for this to interconnect um, in the future as it, ultimately we're backing up property now? It's not fronting to it, which is what the request was, but now it's it's backing up with garages. And so without, but we're not gonna put up, you know, we don't allow fences and all of those pieces. So this is going to need to somehow integrate to the property to the west. Um, ultimately, this is a less than a half mile walk to a major mixed use regional area. So do we have ways that that all can interconnect and not be completely separate and where we're gonna see the backs of these garages as that new property develops? I think we do, Councilmember Lewis, and I think one of the tools that's immediately ready at our disposal would be the platting process, where we can address that a little bit better. Okay, perfect, thank you. All right, <clears throat> anybody else? Going once, going twice. Mighty fine, all right. Thank you all very much. So then I will call, I will, I don't do that. I will continue the public hearing at 9.23 p.m. No cards, yes, ma'am. All right, I will close the public hearing at 9.23 p.m. And now I will call for a motion. Move to approve. That's Ms. Short. Second. Second, Mr. Newsom. All right, questions, statements, comments, hearing none. All righty. All right, buttons broke. Oh, there we go. All right. All right. The, that carries. The motion passes 7-0. Thank you all very much. And make sure I'm doing right here. Okay, now we're going into new business. 
Item 18. All right. 23-5807, resolution and resolution of the City Council of the City of Mansfield, Texas, approving a professional services agreement with RSM Design for the branding and wayfinding design for the Harvest Point District in an amount not to exceed $280,500. Mr. Moore. Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, Council. Yes, sir. So this item um, would provide, <clears throat> is our slides? Can they? I don't know if you're seeing the slide or not, but it, we've got a breakdown. Okay. No, sir. Sorry. There we go. All it's right. broken out. This proposal is broken out into two categories. And I'll, I'll back up real quick and, and remind you that you hired RSM to do the link branding. And with that one, we're, we're focused on TERS 1 and the, where the link is, is generally located. Because this is TERS 4, and it's a different funding source. We split the two out, and the timing worked out a little bit better uh, as we could get a little further along with the, the entire Harvest Point negotiations. This should be the last time you hear Harvest Point. Um, I think RSM will be conducting the, the studies and, and going through their process, uh, if, if Council approves this agreement, to move forward on creating that narrative and what that design, what that name needs to be for the entire district. This is a sub-district of the link though. So just remember that the, the link um, identifies all of our uh, innovation corridor along Heritage, 287 down to Lone Star, and then from Lone Star up to Heritage along 360. So this is included in that, uh, but would be a sub-district with its own look and feel with signage, um, Within, within this, there'll be sub-districts for like the residential components, as well as the sports and entertainment um, components on the north. So it's broken out into two uh, parts. Branding is, is one, and you see the list here of uh, their process and how they go through that. And then the wayfinding signage and developing those concepts out. And those are brand standards that get developed for anyone that builds in this district would have to follow those standards. So I will uh, ask if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer those for you. All right. <clears throat> all right, I'll start on my right. Any questions regarding what you're looking at? Everybody's good? My left, everybody's good? Go ahead. Is this funded by MEDC? So it, it would be TERS number four. Um, and so, it, you know, initially, right. since there's zero funds in TERS four, um, that would be either MEDC or general fund until we somebody would lend it. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll call for a motion then. Move to approve. Thank you, Mr. Second. All right. I think there's Mr. Brosh. Yes, sir. All right. Question statement. Hearing none. Please cast your votes. And that motion carries seven zero. Thank you very much. All right, item 23-5811, request for special event permit, Mansfield Pickle Parade and Palooza. All right, presenter, Ms. Faith Morse. Thank you, Mayor and Council. Yes, ma'am. Um, tonight I'm bringing before you the 2024 special event permit application for the annual Pickle Parade and Palooza. This year, the event is proposed to be held in historic downtown Mansfield over the course of two days, March 15th and March 16th. 
Staff has been working closely with the Pickled Mansfield Society to refine all of the components within their application, and at this time, staff recommends approval of the application as presented um, while authorizing the city manager or their designee to make modifications to the permit as seen fit. Um, the event organizers are here to answer any questions, and so am I. All right, mighty fine. Council, do you have any questions or anything in regard to uh, this particular matter? To my left, to my right. All right, well, I will call for a motion. Mayor, I would like to make a motion, but with um, some amendments. Yes, ma'am. Um, some changes to the, to the event. Um, I know we've looked at the numbers of the attendance for the Friday event, and we've also looked at the cost for overtime for staff. And I would recommend that we do a Saturday only event um, because of the street closures that are involved from Friday morning through Saturday midnight and the cost of city overtime staff, overtime for staff, um, and in relation to the number of atten attendees. I know on the parade we have lots of people here in Mansfield and I know it's our job to make sure that everyone's safe and taken care of, but I think that the money that's required to help with this event, we'll probably have to limit it to Saturday. And that's my motion. All right, that's a motion there, second. I'll second. All right, Mr. Lewis, okay, motion and second by Mr. Lewis. All right, question statements. Hearing none, seeing none, please cast your vote. And the motion carries 7-0. All righty then, moving on to item number, well, we're going to old business now, item 23-5793, consideration of a community activation grant application made by the Pickled Mansfield Society. Rachel Bagley. Yes, ma'am. Um, this item was brought to you in December for consideration of a community activation grant yes. uh, made by the uh, Pickle Mansfield Society um, in an amount not to exceed uh, $135,500 to uh, put on the uh, Pickle Parade um, this March. You can see the um, breakdown of the funding allocation on the screen here. And as Faith mentioned, we met with the uh, members of the Pickle Society throughout the last several weeks and gathered more details and information about the event and their financials and staff would recommend uh, to approve a grant not to exceed $135,500. All right, thank you very much. Any questions, statements in this regard? All right, hearing none, then I will call for a motion. Uh, Mayor, I'd like to uh, I move to approve that city grants uh, to the Pickle Parade uh, for safety overtime on Saturday. Uh, that's an estimated $58,000 plus the uh, barricades, the actual cost are uh, $20,000, whichever is less, and the portalettes up to a maximum of $6,000 are the actual amount for a total value of an estimated $84,000. All right, we've had a motion. Is there a second? Second. All right, thank you, ma'am. All right, questions? Hearing none, please cast your votes. Yes. 
and the motion carries 7-0. All right, moving on to item 23-5777. resolution of the City Council of the City of Mansfield, Texas, authorizing the city manager or his designee to negotiate, finalize, and execute a development agreement with Bridgeview Multifamily LLC, finding that the meeting at which this resolution is passed is open to the public as required by law and declaring an effective date. Mr. Alexander. Thank you, Honorable Mayor, City Council. This is a request to approve a resolution for a development agreement that stems from City Council's approval of a PD plant development district for 388 multifamily dwellings at the shops abroad. And as part of this development agreement, it ties the exterior finishes, some of the interior finishes that were shown in the images as part of the public hearing process for this PD plant development district, uh, think early or late last year. And that is the purpose of this resolution, and I'll try to answer any questions that you may have. All right, mighty fine. Starting on my right, any questions? Yes, Mr. Lewis. Thank you, Mayor. Yes, Mr. Sir. Alexander, I'm looking through right now, and if, I, if it's here and I'm missing it, please let me know. Um, I do not see anything in here about the uh, parking garage screening or having any artwork or anything. The last exhibits I saw were open concrete pillars straight looking at out to the south, um, but I don't see anything in the agreement or any imagery that talks about what we talked about in the zoning of being screened in some sort of way, either living screening wall, or public art, some sort of cladding on the side. Is there anything in the agreement that? Um, I don't recall off the top of my head. What I can share with you, Councilmember Lewis, is that we have been working diligently with the developer on ensuring that the screening mechanism for the parking structure that is aesthetically pleasing. And we'll certainly make sure that before their application for a building permit is approved that it is consistent with City Council's vision. Okay, I would just ask that it, that's included in a motion so that sure. it's very clear, because I don't see it in the writing. All right, sounds good to me, sir. Anybody else in regard to this particular matter? <clears throat> All right, hearing none, seeing none, then I will call for a motion. Move to approve. A short. With, with the request. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, uh, with the request that they work with staff on the screening wall for the parking garage. <laughs> all right. Second. Second. All right, all right. See, who was that? Who did that, Ms. Bounds? All right. Thank you. Statements, question, calling a question, hearing none, seeing none. And that carries 7-0. We got one more. Go ahead, Mr. Newsom. There you go. Oh, oh, there it is. All right, you got who did that? Yeah. Yes, Newsom and Lewis. So we won't, yep, I got a vote, don't I? All right, motion carries 7-0, and we are adjourned at 9.36 p.m. See you all around town. Y'all have a good one. Thank you for good work today.